Lucas, howdy night everybody, I just walked in from a uh, dinner party, 7 after 9 here on the west coast, thank you for letting me run a little late tonight, and I need to do a couple of things, and then we'll call Patricia, and open up the phone lines and play trivia, and see what else Patricia got on her mind. She's a smart cookie, so she's got something cooked up for everybody. Anyway, let's say a prayer for the evening, and let me put on some uh, little stuff as I get myself organized, and we'll be on here pretty soon. But first, let's say a prayer. Dear Lord, thank you for this wonderful station. Thank you for the opportunity we have to be with everybody and look after everybody as we uh, spend time on a computer and the internet. Uh, bless everybody who might be going through difficult situation, maybe personally or financially or spiritually. Help those who are looking forward to uh, the 4th of July weekend. May our upcoming trip be safe. And we ask this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Okay, let me go ahead and uh, put a little bit of thing on. And I'll be with you in a few minutes. Here we go. <laughs> the Johnson Wax Program with Fibber McGee and Molly. Nothing like hitting the wrong thing, huh? Let's see what we got here. Should be our traditional... Radio stations have birthdays like everybody else. And today we are celebrating ours, the 40th anniversary of broadcasting, entertainment, news, sports, and information to the people of the Pacific Coast from San Francisco. It was in 1922 that KNBC, then known as KPO, began program service. Many famous entertainers and many historic events were beamed out over the airways during our 40 years of broadcasting. In 1951, when the NBC radio network was celebrating its 25th anniversary, the then popular comedy team of Fibber McGee and Molly did a special broadcast that eavesdropped on some of the great shows of radio. Since then, Molly Jordan has passed on and Fibber is living in retirement in Encino, California. Twelve years have slipped by since Fibber McGee and Molly's 25th anniversary salute to NBC, and that broadcast is in itself a collector's item. Tonight is one of the highlights of KNBC's 40th anniversary celebration. We will revive that famous broadcast of Fibber McGee and Molly, during which you will hear the voices of Joe Penner, Fred Allen, Ben Burney, W.C. Fields, Edgar Bergen, and Charlie McCarthy, and many, many other favorites from out of the past, starring Fibber McGee, and Molly. Our Silver Jubilee, the 25th birthday of the National Broadcasting Company. Like any birthday, the birthday of NBC is a time for reflection and recollection. Were you listening to Ed Wynn at 9.30 on a Tuesday night in 1932? At 7 o'clock on a Wednesday evening in 1929, were you listening to Amos and Andy? Or were you listening to Rudy Valley's Great Variety Show at 8 o'clock on a Thursday evening in 1934? Ah, these were great moments in the history of NBC, and ordinarily it would be impossible to relive them. But we are fortunate in having had with us for the past 20 years a man to whom nothing is impossible. I refer, of course, to the resident of 79 Wistful Vista, Molly's husband, Fibber McGee. As we look in on the McGees, Fibber is tinkering with his old 1926 super heterodyne radio set. He is, in fact, known as the 
biggest tinker in radio. Mrs. McGee makes a fairly safe statement. She says... It'll never work, McGee. What do you mean, it'll never work? My gosh, Molly. Let me get this straight again. Huh? You claim that you can fix this radio set so it'll tune in programs that were broadcast 20 years ago? 25 years ago, even. I'm rewiring it so I can tune it to different years instead of different stations, you see? No, I don't. Well, look, Tootsie. According to the McGee theory of radio dianetics, which I'm the guy that thought it up, I claim that when you hear a broadcast once, that ain't necessarily the end of it, you see? It don't just disappear. In other words, old radio programs never die. <laughs> I know one that dies every Tuesday night. Well, that ain't what I mean. I mean that they're still out there, bouncing around in the air, waiting for somebody to tune them in again. And I'm the guy that can do it. What's our congressman's phone number? Why? Well, if there isn't a law against that, I'll help him write one. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you change your mind when I get this baby working, Molly. We'll make a few more adjustments here. Get the king bolt tightened up a little bit. I'll be ready to try it and... You want to buy a duck? No, I'm not interested in any poultry, bud. I'm trying to... Hey, who said that? Why, I don't know, McGee. There's nobody here but us. Doggone it, turn off the radio, will you, Molly, while I work on this? Radio. Hey, the radio. It's working. You hear it, Molly? It works. Hush, listen. My goodness, it sounds like New Year's Eve, McGee. I wonder where that... Boy, oh, boy, I told you I could make it work and... You nasty boy! McGee! That's Joe Penner. Why, he used to be one Listen. of... Listen, Elsa. Remember him? Ben Burney? Oh, yes. I used to love him. March of time. Everybody wants to get into the act. My God. Tony Wan. <laughs> oh, McGee, that's Jimmy Durante. Oh, yeah, Jimmy Durante. Boy, this is wonderful. Gee whiz, I can tune in any program I want. Hush a minute, hush. Let's listen to this one first. What year now are we listening to? I can't tell yet. The dates are all scrambled up on the dial here, but I can fix that. And my name, darling, is Lula Bankhead. Did you hear that? I got Congress, Senator Bankhead. No, no, that... Got is... a deep voice on him, hasn't he? No, McGee, that was... Shh. My goodness, this is exciting, McGee. Can you tune in just any program you want to hear? Anything back to 1926. That's when the first big network started. NBC in 1926. Oh? That's when we bought this old super heterodyne, remember? Oh, do I remember. Yeah. You lugged this thing home, strung about 200 feet of aerial around the roof, plugged it in, turned it on, and blew out fuses that we didn't even know we had. Yeah, but remember the first program we ever heard on it? There was a, a band out, out in Kansas City. Oh, yes. The Nighthawks. Yeah, that's it. Yes. Coon Sanders and their Kansas City Nighthawks. Yeah. Wait till I tune this... The year 1926. There. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. This is Pat Kelly greeting you from Kansas City, where NBC is presenting the Coon Sanders Nighthawks Orchestra. Oh, that's it, McGee. That's them. Relax and enjoy yourselves now while the Coon Sanders Nighthawks go to work on some of these days. I told you this baby would work, kiddo. <laughs> boy, oh boy, is this ever jazzy. Wonderful. Listen, that break. Terrific.
Why, isn't this nostalgic, McGee? Yeah. Brings you back a lot of memories, too. Remember the night we put this radio out on the front porch and threw a block party for the neighbors? Oh, wasn't that fun? <laughs> we put up ropes and danced in the street. You did a pretty sharp Charleston, too. Yeah, I'd have done even better if the street had been paved. Gravel kept getting in my shoes. I had a new dress for that night, remember? <laughs> it was trimmed with monkey fur and had a hemline just below my knees. That must have been around uh, 1928, wasn't it? Yeah, that's when it was, around election time. Big argument broke out about Al Smith and Hoover. Yes, and you tried to explain to me which one would make the best president. Only you weren't sure yourself, and... Wait, listen. Now, ladies and gentlemen, Amos and Andy would like to say a few words to their listeners. Listen, Amos, you don't know politics like I do. Uh, tell me this, though. Uh, why can't they have a Democrat and a Republican president at the same time? Let Hoover be president for one week and Al Smith be president for next week, you see. Ain't no use to have no hard feelings. Amos, the president of the country, don't have nothing to do now. The trouble with that is the Republican would get everything messed up for the Democrat and vice versa. And what? Vice versa. He ain't running, is he? Who ain't running? Bryce Visser. I didn't say Bryce Visser. I said Vice Visser. Is he a Democrat or a Republican? Uh-oh. Listen, Amos, the farm situation. You take the Hogan-McDarry bill. Take it where? Take it anywhere. What is I going to do with it? That is the question. It was vetoed. It was? And not only that, the farmers are so mad about the Hogan-McDarry bill being vetoed Today is liable to elect the candidate for the vice president, president. Well, what do Coolidge say about all this? He do not choose. Maybe his wife made him stop doing that. The thing we has got to do, Amos, is to make up our minds if we is going to be Republican or Democrat. I believe I'll be a Democrat. But I'm going to be a Republican. You go ahead, be a Democrat. You is crazy. You was all right, ain't you? Certainly I was all right. Then I'm glad I was crazy. You know, that's the clearest explanation I've ever heard, McGee. Oh, that's about the way I explained it to you at the time, Molly. Them guys just simplified it a little and... Tune in some more. Go ahead. Get some music. Okay. Remember the music appreciation hour? Oh, Spike Jones, sure. <laughs> Let me see if I can get that. I'd like to hear that. No, no, that was Walter Damrosch, McGee. Watch your language. You know, he always used to open up with... Good morning, my dear children. I've had no chance before, so if it's not too late, let me wish you a happy new year. And may it bring you lots of music and a greater and greater affection for it so that you really become music lovers. Hey, you do a good imitation, Molly. Sounded just like... Oh, that was him. I didn't realize you were tuning the set yourself. And you could... oh. Listen. Oh, <laughs> 
Baritone Lawrence Tibbet and his spirited and colorful singing of the famous Toreador song in the role of Escamillo. In just a moment, as the Toreador, he'll be swaggering over to the gypsy maid and flirting with her as today's Metropolitan Opera performance of Bizet's Carmen continues. Oh, just listen to that applause. Well, he deserves it. The boy's got a nice voice. That was back in the early 30s, wasn't it? Must have been around 1932. 1932. Boy, what a year that was in history. Good and bad. There were three things happened that year that I guess most of us will never forget, Molly. Historic events, you mean? Yep. The Japanese took over Manchuria. Hello, everybody. It is Saturday night. I am so glad you decided to let me go play hooky. It is 9.23 here on the West Coast, and I wonder what time it is in Florida. It is Sunday at 12.22, if the lightning didn't blow up my clock yesterday. we had really Oh, we had some great lightning yesterday. Good stuff. Except it shut down. Um, power went out. It hit a light pole, I guess, or underground. I don't even know where our wires are here. Where is the most exciting light show you ever saw before? Do you ever remember waking up and say, Boy, that was a really good thunder and lightning show. Uh, that just walked by. It it was not waking up in it. It was one that moved in during the evening. So the sky was dark, and it was off in the distance, and it was the first time I have ever seen or had ever seen the lightning that's indigenous to this part of the country. It lights up clouds because the storms come in pods almost. Uh, We've talked about this. It can be raining in your neighbor's yard and not yours. So you can sit in perfectly wonderful weather and see storms off in the distance. And the lightning, I I call it, it just goes in different directions, but it, it, sometimes it hits the ground. Sometimes it goes parallel to the ground. But in some storms, the lightning starts to split. It starts out as a flat strip of lightning and it will just splinter out like you like a, a windshield that suddenly cracked and crazed right. and the light it just skips from cloud to cloud to cloud to cloud to cloud. It's marvelous. I mean it is better than the movies. 
You can go to the lightning show. <laughs> you don't have to go to the movies. So that's the best one I ever saw because it was the first one I ever saw. Well, now, did you, uh, what, did New York, New Jersey have a little different water, water lightning show? I mean, yes. did, uh-huh. Um, the lightning there was always air to ground. It never went lateral. It never skipped ah. clouds. It, it didn't didn't do tricks for us. Mm-hmm. It either blew your brains out or it didn't. <laughs> <laughs> we had some pretty rough storms of, in the area where I lived, and they were kind of exciting. And they hit the tree right outside the dining room one day. But you know, so that gets a little spooky. Any what's the best snowstorm you ever went through? The best? Yep. The most. The most. The yeah. The yeah. toughest. The uh, you know, we little Californians have no clue what this is all about, so we're just fascinated for people who just try to dig themselves out of the day. Yeah, well, I mean, that's really nice, Walt. <laughs> <laughs> there was a snowstorm that, well, I guess there were two. There were two winters that were particularly difficult, and I can't remember the years on them. But the one year, I recall that, Buffalo, New York, kept, I wasn't that far north, I was was very far south, but we heard about the poor people in Buffalo were inundated with so much snow that they could only get out of their homes if they tunneled. They literally dug tunnels through the snow in order to get anywhere, like to their next door neighbors. So they weren't out for a very long time, and I'm trying to remember it, it was some outrageous number. Maybe somebody from Buffalo or in that area can call in and tell us about the worst snow winter you ever had in Buffalo. It, I, I know I must be off because it's, it's such an outrageous number, but 84 feet sticks in my head that these people were buried over the course of the winter. They'd get a foot this day and a foot that day and two feet that day, and it just didn't stop. And down on my end in the southern part of the state, we got piles pretty high as well, but if you shoveled hard enough and tried to stay ahead of the plows, that would put it right back up into your driveway. Uh, We did okay. Uh, We we had a couple of uh, winters that made me convinced that this was the right decision to live on this end of of the country instead of that end, although there are things that I do miss. I miss some stuff up there. Stuff. Yeah, I miss stuff. Oh, my gosh. If you know the secret word of the night, you can win a prize. Right. The prize will be nameless, but we can win a prize. Yeah. <laughs> I'm the prize. <laughs> 714-545-2071. We are here for you. Thank you for allowing me to run late. We had a... Uh, uh, a goodbye party. Some uh, friends of the family decided to move to Colorado to plant stuff. Ten acres of, of you know, stuff to plant. So Are they going to farm, or is this a personal garden type thing? I think it's almost a personal garden. They're, they are they don't really need to do it for a living, but they're just huh? fascinated by doing the stuff. Oh, planting and watching stuff grow. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, cool. it was... Uh, they bought a piece of land that was originally for, uh, to be...
can and things, you know, that you would use for playthings in, in that neck of the woods. So mm -hmm. now they got to move all that sand to somewhere in order to plant stuff. <laughs> well, th maybe they could just pick some things temporarily that grow in sandy soil. Could be. There are some things that don't need rich, loamy soil to grow, so maybe yeah. they could find that. I have some things growing. Tell me. Oh, I've got marigolds. Ken Goff sent me some marigold seeds. Ah. They are doing beautifully. Uh, they're, they're really healthy plants, so I'll have to thin them out a little bit and start giving some babies away, but they are doing very well, and I planted radishes. And I've got, I, I think I've got radishes out there. I don't have the heart to thin plants. You know, they tell you to plant all of these seeds, and then when they start to grow and you feel like a mom, mm -hmm. they tell you to yank some of them out. And I just, I can't do that. So I've got radishes that are probably growing way too close together, and they're going to look like long red strings with bumps on them <laughs> instead of nice fat radishes. But anyway, the plants are growing well, so I'm happy with that. So, so I have stuff growing. So if we have any friends of ours that live in Florida have a, a bunny rabbit, you can give us a call, and maybe they can come and help Patricia out. You know, what are they going to help me with? Well, the bunny can help keep the, the the radishes nice and smooth, and oh, you know, I had planned on eating them all myself. Okay, <laughs> bunny rabbits are not allowed. <laughs> well, with it, they they'd have a hard time getting up here because I'm on the second floor. So oh, they can hop. Yeah, that's right. I had a raccoon out here. I had oh, that's right. That's hey. right. Seven one four. Five four five two zero seven one. Want to remind everybody. Brrr, remind everybody next weekend. The station from California will be quiet. I will be up in Seattle producing the uh, convention, the rep convention. Uh, Mom and Dad are going up to run the green room, and so there's going to be no live shows out of California Friday, Saturday, and Sunday night. So everybody can go to bed. If they want to. I'm not going to make no, that mandatory. No playtime. <laughs> but, and I'm jumping the gun here, and then I want to go back to the convention because it is going to be spectacular, and I want you to fill in all of the blank spots. But there's a P.S. to this. That's a break because July is Walden's Christmas in July. Hooray! I, I know. Walden loves Christmas so much that he celebrates it twice a year. That's right. So the entire month of July for the Saturday night show is Christmas in July. And there's an extra special treat that I bet you didn't even think of, Walden. Oh, well, you're the smart one of the two. So tell, no, me, tell me, what, you, it, what have you done for me, Patricia? I didn't do anything. The calendar did. We have five Saturdays in July. So we get a lot of celebrations. So we're going to have Christmas shows to play, Christmas trivia questions, Christmas CDs as prizes. And on my honor, I will not sing. I hope we can extract a promise from Walden as well. We will not sing Christmas carols, so it's safe to tune in. Dashing through the snow in a wonderful open uh, You can never influence other people. You can only do it yourself. I will not sing. Well, I can sing. Oh, well, then you can do You may sing. I'm not sure you can sing, but you may <laughs> sing. Go ahead. Give it a whirl. Oh, I'll say that for July. Okay. You know? 
So that's fair warning for everybody. Listen, if you sing, I might do it too. So anyway, tell about the convention, Reps Convention. Reps Convention. Well, we're flying up Thursday. Um, I'll be on the same plane with Gloria McMillan and her husband and grandson. This is in Seattle. And we're going to Seattle. We're living, we're all living in Orange County. And so, uh, keep a good thought for us. Let the plane keep up in the air that Thursday afternoon from, from on Alaska Airlines. I would appreciate that, everybody. You know, no sense for me to make a billion flop in the Pacific Ocean. But, uh. Do you, do you have concerns when you fly that? No. No, I don't. I, I only get little butterfly when we take off, but that's about it. But really? No, I really don't. Honest part. Yeah, I'm pretty, I, I, I enjoy flying, and I've always found the airline staff being very helpful, all, all except for the time when I went. <laughs> Please tell them. <laughs> yeah, I will. Um, let's see. My, one of my very best friends in the whole wide world named Bill Smith. Bill uh, now has his Ph.D. in history and teaches up at... Uh, split time between Idaho and Washington State, which is only nine miles away. Very interesting setup they have up there that they share college professors. Anyway, so Bill was a graduate, undergraduate student at Chico, Chico State in Northern California, and that's about ten hours away from me. So I didn't feel like driving by myself, and that's supposed to be a joke. Everybody understands. Oh. <laughs> Sitting here listening to the story, you you pull this on me all the time. <laughs> I know, I know. I, I do this to see if I can get a giggle out, Patricia. But she was she baited me this time. She didn't do a little giggle. That's the I was asleep at the switch on that one. All right. So anyway, um, so my buddy Bill and called me up and said, "Well, I want you to come up and you know spend a few days with the family." You know, so he and his wife and his two his two lovely girls, and so got on the plane, left Orange County, flew up to Oakland. Okay, great, no problem. You know, uh, got off the plane in uh, Oakland, and the airline company got me over to the terminal to take the little puddle jumper to Santa Rosa to Chico. Puddle jumpers, you know, small passenger plane, maybe eight people. So we get on the plane, and I'm fighting a cold. So, you know, when you have cold when you're flying, it can be a little miserable. But anyway, so we landed, and I was happy. Well, the passengers got off, and then the pilot got off, <laughs> and I'm still on the plane. So... I just went ahead and climbed down off the, out of the, out of the, you know, the stairwell, or got onto the ground, and there I was, out there in the runway somewhere. You are unbelievable. So, naturally, my friend Bill sees me, and they won't allow him to come get me. He's over in, behind the gates. So I came riding, I came riding in with the luggage crew. your bag for today, sir. <laughs> oh, Walden, that, you told me that story, and I just couldn't believe it. It's like a school bus driver leaving and having a kid asleep in the back of the bus, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. I can top that part with two other stories. 
quote, and you know, not not regarding with me, but I think they're great stories. Uh, speaking of you know blind people, so uh, one of my better friends, Jeff Gilbert, who called in on the station. Hi, Jeff. Hope you got you and Carrie doing well. Um, Jeff, for many years, have had different guide dogs. And I think most people are mistaken to think, you know, once you train a guide dog, they're good forever. Mm, not necessarily so. Guide dog can have a mind of their own, and, and they can go out and play when they're not in the harness, and they can do their own little things, you know? You just hope it, it does it in nice places. <laughs> and so, anyway, so... And I think this would make a perfect scene for a movie. So Jeff got on the bus with this guide dog. And sitting right across from him was another blind guy and his guide dog. Oh dear. Oh dear. Well, the two guide dogs decided they didn't like each other too well. So they started to go at each other, start lynching and attacking each other. So I think here you have two blind guys trying to hold their guide dogs off and each one are going after each other. I think that would be a pretty good scene for a film. Wow. But I just never, because they are so intensely trained yep. and screened. Uh, I mean, puppy dogs who get through guide dog school deserve gold crowns. That's true. They have gone through so many paces. I never even considered that there might be something between, I mean, it happens between dogs. It's, it's just that these are, are so special mm -hmm. and so specially trained and accustomed to obeying. Absolutely. Oh, that's scary. Now, my airplane story. This one tops me. It tops you. Okay. Yeah, yes. It better be pretty good. It's pretty good. Family friend. Decided to he travel passes for a living and and uh, so he was checking into the into the line and he uh, saw a friend of his and they started to talk and he put his suitcase down. It was he put it on a conveyor belt, you know the one that we go down to that you might put the the conveyor belt would take the baggage and go down to the luggage car. So he was turning and watching it, and he got, when he got done talking to his friends, he realized his suitcase was gone. And he looked, and he saw it was way down in the conveyor belt. So he got on the conveyor belt and rode it all the way down to the baggage area. And he That's got... jail. <laughs> so he got up there yeah. and uh, picked it up, and there was here, you know, here's the crew, you know, picking up the baggage, blowing the plane, and he said... Which way can I go to get out of here? They were a little surprised to see him down there. So he's also the same one, that guy on the plane. And he was going to go to fly to Ontario, California. And so he got on the plane and <clears throat> they announced that they were going to Ontario, Canada. He got on the wrong flight. Wrong Ontario. Mm-hmm. This so, was before the security days. Oh, you bet. Oh, my goodness. Anyway, those are two stories, and I think Patricia wants me to tell one more story, Elise. And we're, we're open to get the kibitz and chat, and we'll go some trivia questions here really soon. But our number is 714-545-2071. Anyway, our friends are moving to Colorado. Yeah. 
Patricia has family in Colorado, and, you know, my, my roots are in the Midwest, everybody. You know, my folks are from Nebraska. Both of them are in Nebraska, but they did not meet in Nebraska. They uh, met in this town called Love Land, Colorado. And I, so, so Patricia, I was telling Patricia this off the air, and she said, oh, that's cute. And I said, well, that's only half of the story. The, the more interesting part that they met in a hotel room. And actually, what it is, folks, back in those days, as you were in the mid Yes. Talk fast on this one. Yes. Ba <laughs> back in those days, um, if you were somewhat temporary, you didn't have residence, you went ahead and rented the hotel suites and used that as sort of a living quarters. And uh, generally, a lot of time, my dad, who was in the oil business, that's what they would do. They would move into or into the area, rent for a month while they were out there in the oil fields working. Or my my mom, um, as a school teacher, when they would get settled in, they would do that until they could find a place to rent. And so anyway, my mom came home from a date, and she found my dad and his cousin playing cards with her first cousin. So that's how they met. And my mom said she fell in love with my dad because my dad was a good dancer. So, anyway. <laughs> That's cute. That's cute. When you say my parents met in a hotel room, you have to talk fast, Walt. <laughs> you really have to get to the rest of the story Boy, very fast. You bet. You bet. 714-545-2071 is our number. 714-545-2071. Tomorrow night's Ray Bream interview. It's another interview that he did with Frank Brzee back in 1986. So those of you who love Ray Bream and Frank Brzee, you might want to throw a tape recorder in or hit your computer button some all night. Patricia! Well then! What do you have for us tonight? Any games? Any trivia? Anything we can play? We have got stuff tonight. My goodness, I didn't even get to ask a question yet. I know. Hello, Carl. You are on the air with Patricia. Yeah, you didn't get to ask a question. <laughs> Hello, Lucille. Number one on my list is, Walden, please talk about what Lucille did. What did Lucille do? Lucille had decided to... What can I say? She decided to give another gift to the family by issuing membership card into the fan club. That Patricia, that Patricia and I uh, just so happen to be second and third members of because Lucille's number one. <laughs> <laughs> Lucille, that just, I, it just made me laugh and smile at the same time. What a sweet and creative thing to do. Please talk about it. Well, what happened was a cup, a couple months ago when I was speaking to you, I turned around and said I had a perfect name for a fan club for you and Robin, and I said it should be called Wallpat. So I turned around and said I would be the first member if you had a fan club. So the uh, a couple weeks ago I sat and I was at the computer and I turned around and I typed up a couple sheets of membership cards, <laughs> and I took the first one, <laughs> and they are numbered. <laughs> oh, gosh. So cool. Well, then, can you turn
bring me down just a little bit? Oh, I forgot. You're not at the Frank Brzee level. I'm not at the Frank Brzee. When All I right. say that, um, Lucille, and for anybody, because I'm always saying, Walden, turn me down, turn me down. The volume on the incoming calls is so high that it blows my ear out. <laughs> so I have to... Margaret Yeah. Yeah. So, so anyway, you've got these wonderful cards. I sent them to Walden. Yeah. I took the first card out. You took the first one. I have number two, and we've mailed them off to Patricia, so she can be the, she can be the uh, keeper of the card to find out who gets one, or if they want to be right. part of the little group. That's right, and I sent, I believe it was 20 of them, and I told Robin that when you are getting close to running out, I will be more than glad to make new ones up and send them to Robin, and he can send them to you. That is such fun. Am I supposed to put one in with the first CD I send out to someone? I mean, even if it's a repeat, like, for example, you, if you were... Well, you can turn around and you can start giving them out, and there's a line in underneath the... Uh, there's a line where you can write the person's name in. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, and, if, and then if they call back and they win another prize, you can always ask them, Are you, do you have a membership card? And you can keep track of the members. All right, too. I love it. That is such a neat idea. You really made me smile on that one. You're done good. Well, you know, I try, you know, like I said, I love you guys. So it was, it was something I did from the heart. You know, and I, it is so much fun. I'm really looking forward to this. Do do we have to sign anything or oh, no. the person's name in there? What to do is just put the person's name in there that the card is going to and put it in with their little uh, CD. Okay. And I, I figured, you know, what a way to give back something to people who give so much to me. Well, I think that is just so neat. Thank you so much. I mean, really, thank you so much. I just you see them. delighted when Walter told me about it. It just tickled me. Yeah, I was, I, you know, when that was the first thing I did when we opened the mail, and there they were. I just went ahead and uh, called Patricia in the afternoon. Uh, that's so great. Listen, I don't want to take up a lot of your time. I just wanted to say... To all the listeners out there who are dads, happy Father's Day. Happy Father's Day. Thank you for the reminder. If you're not a dad per se, per having birth children or adopted children, in a way, Walden, all of us who listen to you, we're like your adopted children. Oh, well. So happy Father's Day to you. Thank you. I'm blessed blessed to tell my dad, so he's already made a request, so uh, we're going to go out to go get him lemon meringue pot. Lemon meringue pot tomorrow. That's what he wants, so... I think Walden has him trained, Lucille. Lemon meringue has to be Walden's favorite pie. It sounds like it runs in the family, Patricia. I don't know. The genes are in that lemon meringue pool, I think. (laughs) It's a lemon gene. Listen, I wanted to call last week, but my pain medication was kicking in, and I didn't want to slur my words. But you did ask a question last week, and I hope you'll allow me to answer it, and I just wanted to add one thing to the answer. Do we need to take a a vote? Uh, Oh, I already voted. Okay. (laughs) 
You asked a question about Mickey Mouse's two nephews. Uh-huh. Their names, and then the bonus was their last name. I have the answer. I had the answer last week. But oh, wanted I have a, enough time. Yeah. Go ahead. I wanted to have enough time to emphasize something on the answer to the question. Then they were twins. Their names were Ferdinand and Mortimer. Uh-huh. And was Field Mouse. Now, Mortimer, I don't know if you knew, was the original name Mickey Mouse was supposed to be called. But due to Mrs. Disney not liking the name Mortimer, Walt changed the name to Mickey. And you know who he named him after? Uh, I really don't remember who he named him after. I did know at one point, but the brain cells are going, so... There was a, uh, this was, remember, folks, it's about the mid-20s, around 1926, 27. And at that time, there was a child movie star who did a lot of little rascal films in the early 20s, and they changed his name to Mickey McGuire and did a whole, another series of films. And so Mickey walked into the studio, and he was just fascinated talking to Walt. And Walt knew he was going to have to change the name, and he asked what the, the little boy's name was. And his name was, uh, well, Mickey McGuire. So he Mickey named McGuire, him after yes. Mickey, Mickey, uh, Mickey McGuire. Later, in the 30s, Mickey McGuire changed his last name to Mickey Rooney. Wonderful. So that's who Mickey Mouse is named after, Mickey Rooney. Now, how did the two of you get so smart? I'm thinking I've got this incredible question. And you, everybody on this show, everybody who calls in is so smart. And I'm the one who has to look up all the information because I don't know. Some of them I know, but I, didn't, I wouldn't have known the last name on this one. How did you know the last name of the nieces? Because I remembered, oh gosh, when I was a little girl and they had the Mickey Mouse cartoons on, on TV, I would watch them and I just got the biggest kick out of the two nephews, like Donald Duck's three nephews, always creating havoc. Well, when Mickey's nephews were around, they always created havoc and for some reason, when the ones who created havoc were the ones that got my attention. I wonder why. Oh, no, I was, a, I was one of those kids that sat in the corner and just watched everyone else, you know. So but It was always so fascinating to see even the cartoon characters getting away with stuff that I would never try. Oh, oh goodness, I wouldn't be alive today to talk about anything if I had done a quarter of the things they did. Yeah, we would, we would have shared a plot in the, um, <laughs> you know, <laughs> we, we would have side by side. Well, guess what? This is a guess what? I still have, and I did everybody's CDs, but the envelopes are sitting next to me. So I can stuff another CD in the envelope that I have for you. And what I put in there, um, we talked about the haunting hour last week. That's in there, and that's what I gave you. But I also had, um, I found a set of MP3s, there are eight of them, and it is the entire story of the haunting of Hill House. Hmm. Go for it. 
The Haunting of Hill House. So that's on your CD as well. So you've got those two things on a CD. In the meantime, I found something, and I don't even know if it's as good as, <laughs> as the title says, but I found a bunch of shows today that just looked great, and one of them is Tales from the Shadows. That sounds good. Even if the title is all that's good, it, at least it's the I didn't listen to any of them yet because I just found them late today. But um, it's an NPR series from 1987, and I know the file doesn't have a whole lot in there. Let's see, what do we have? Tales from the Shadows, uh, maybe 10 or 12, maybe 12 shows. But it was something new. I had never heard of it before, and I thought, ah, I know, I know where a home could be for that one. Let's put Lucy's name next to that. <laughs> we will put Lucy's name next to um, Tales from the Shadows. And I did find a couple of other little things, so I'll, I will put them on the CD as well. But I was so delighted. I found something that at least it sounds like it should be right. Are amazing. You always come up with something new, and you always seem to remember what your listeners are. Really, what they're special, like with me, my genre is horror and spooky and blood and guts and murder and mayhem. And so it's great that you remember what your listeners really like. And then when you come across things, you always like put them to the side for us. And see, that's what makes you people so special to us out here who listen and love you. Well, we love you, too, and I mean that. We really do. It's just so neat that we have so many people who listen, and increasingly we, we are getting more and more people who are calling, which just delights me. And uh, here you are, too. Yeah. And there's one more thing. Walden, I tried to find you on Facebook. Uh-oh. Well, I'm there. Let's see here. Uh, I haven't figured this out, so I I haven't sat down and worked out Facebook on my own yet, but I'm I'm signed up. Um, so I'm. What are you under? I so I want you can you know one is you can type in my email everybody or my uh, my name just Walden Hughes or my email. I typed in Walden Hughes yeah. search on Facebook. Yeah. Nothing came Nothing up. Came up. Hmm. W a l d e n. That's correct. H u g h e s. Okay, because I know sometimes um, somebody will mention Walden's name and spell it with an L-C-O-N, Yeah. Yeah. And then I don't know if it helped to throw my email in there. That's just Walden Hughes at yesterdayusa.com. No, because doesn't help. The search for Facebook goes according to the name. Hmm. I wonder why. Well, well, if you turn around and you, if you go to Facebook yeah. and you, and I don't care if people hear it who's listening because I know no one crude and rude is going to no. touch with me. No, but if you type in Lucille Cumming, there you are. And ask, you can request me and I'll add you to my friends okay, list. Okay, well, hopefully, before I head off to Seattle, that's one thing I want to do is sit down and learn if, if I know all the little gimmies with space, Facebook. So, if not, we'll figure somehow how everybody can oh, hook up. Absolutely. But those were the three main things that I called about. Wow. So I've completed all my tasks for this evening, and I'll be able to just lie down now, put my headphones on, and listen to the rest of the evening with you to the wee hours of the morning. The wee hours. Well, I am just so glad you are with us. I'm glad I'm here, too, you know. Anyway, have a fantastic night. Thank you, and thanks for calling. 
an even better tomorrow. Thank you, Lucy. Hills in the shadows. Yes. <laughs> Thank you, guys. Hi. <laughs> Good night. And that's an interesting thought. Well, Lucille asked, gave us a little history of Mickey Mouse. I want to know, did Mickey Mouse have his own radio show? 714-545-2071. Did Mickey Mouse have his own radio show? I have a challenge for you. Yes. Are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. You sound very, very low to me while the callers sound louder to me. How I does that happen? Well, let's see here, Patricia. Let me, let me look. There you are. Let me, <laughs> what? Let me uh, play with this, this system here. Okay. Is that any better? I think that's better. Thank and, you. Well, here, give me a second, Patricia. Let me see if I can get this better. My ears are so delicate, you know. <laughs> this should be any, is this better? Oh, it's perfect. You know what it was, folks? I have one of these sort of really good microphones, but they are um, the type of microphones where you can take the cord and uh, move it away from the, the actual speaking part, so it wasn't firmly connected right. Ah, so okay, Patricia, so it really wasn't my ears? It was, well, with your ears. Aww, your ears were so good, you could tell there was okay, something wrong. Okay, are we ready? You know, your ears could tell me there was something wrong. So, yes, it was. No, no, <laughs> no, it's just, um, it's just I couldn't hear you, but I could hear everybody that's I mean. else. This is... That, that, and that's why, your, your ears were able to tell that I need to hook up my microphone. So. Oh, so yeah, oh that's good. So yeah. I helped, right? Yeah. You, well, you're, you're... Oh, good. You okay. Are. You so, are the right. I have... Two things that I need to ask of people first. We you have do. Gerald, who said the name Gerald is his three-piece suit name, and otherwise, when he's in his casual Hawaiian shirts, he likes to be called Jer. So, Jer, if you are with us tonight, I emailed a list of shows that I thought you might like because we couldn't find the armchair cruiser. It probably was a local show, and if that's what you would like, I'd be happy to get them out to you, but if you could just return an email, that would be great. And Dan, um, I sent you an email. We talked last week, and I loved the site. Uh, Dan had the history site, yep. the uh, Civil War reenactment history site. He was from Indiana. And I need a choice of shows from you. I still have an Amos and Andy that I owe you, and I've got it. But I need to know what you would like and where I can send it. The end. And we've got lots of trivia tonight. Good. You, can you still hear me good? All right, Patricia? Oh, that's great. Okay. You're perfect. 714-545-2071 is our name, my phone number. Let's give out some trivia question, Patricia, or I you have, have a topic. Two, I have two right off the bat. All right. And then we get to other stuff. Okay, two questions. I think these are pretty good. In the Adventures of Ozzie and Harriet... Ozzie and Harriet Nelson had two sons in the show, and that was both radio and TV. What were their names? And the second question is, I have all these great cartoon questions left over from last week, so you're going to have to suffer with them. <laughs> I'm still going to use some of them. There was a baby in the Popeye comic strip and cartoons. What was the baby's name? Oh, so I need to know names of Ozzie and Harriet's sons and the name of the baby in the Popeye comic strip. That's a good one. Those are did good you, ones. Now, I want to tell you about the new stuff I found. All right. All right. I have 
located approximately 50 Mr. and Mrs. North shows. I didn't know that many existed, did mm -hmm. you? No. No, I did not. Well, I'm going to listen to them before I send them out to anyone to make sure that it's just not a set of duplicates under different names. Right. I clicked on a few, <clears throat> excuse me, and they were shows I had never heard before, and I thought there were, I only had four, and I was never able to come across or find any, and poof, there I was today, sitting looking at Mr. and Mrs. North, 50 shows, so I did download them, I do have them, I will check them to make sure that they are correct and at least listenable. And that's kind of a treat because they're, I just never saw them before. And, you know, they did have a 15-minute show. I have some of those. I have, uh, from what I have here, mm -hmm. it looks like I've got a set of five episodes of 15-minute shows, wow. like with the Johnny Dollars uh -huh. that would run for a week, and a whole bunch of half-hour shows. So I'll let you know next week what I have. I didn't have time to do that because I only found it a couple of hours ago. So I will let you know what I found. Are you ready for the next one? I'm ready. Okay, sit down. Put on your seatbelt. This ah, is a good one. Ah. When we listen to Fibber McGee and Molly, frequently we will hear Harlow Wilcox talk about the problem that Mary Lee Taylor is going to deal with the following day. Yep. And she is going to give out husband-tested recipes. Yes. Do you recall that we hear Harlow doing that sometimes? Absolutely. You bet. I have Mary Lee Taylor shows. Hey! I mean, I really did not know they honest-to-goodness still existed. I had never come across them either. So I've got some Mary Lee Taylor shows with husband-tested recipes and all of these terrible problems about dastardly deeds that her friends want to do and she's going to get them out of trouble. <laughs> I thought that was pretty good. Then I found a British detective show that on Quick Pass, I only listened to two or three parts uh, just to run through them and check to make sure that the sound was okay on these. And it sounds like a little bit like Bulldog Drummond. We had the, I think it was an American detective, but the British... It, it was a British butler who was with Bulldog Drummond, is that correct? It sounds very close. I never knew what his sidekick was, but yes. It, well, it, he, yeah. was, he was uh, a butler or um, almost like a Cato, I guess, to um, Britt Reed. But he was British, and I can't recall if Bulldog Drummond was British as well, but it started out with the foghorn and the yeah. footsteps in the fog, and, uh, and that was great. But this is also... Inspector Carr. This is an Inspector Carr type thing, and, the, and I think it's probably along the Bulldog Drummond line. So I've got a bunch of them. It's called Epic Casebook, E-P-I-C, and I thought it was like, well, you know, this is an epic story or something along those lines. It's not. Epic is the name of the product producer. These are British shows, and they've got epic cooking grease and <laughs> cooking oil. It, it was really unusual. It's got four or five products at the beginning of it. But anyway, I thought that was kind of interesting. If anybody has run out of ideas or is kind of bored with mysteries and detective shows, this might be a nice change. So That's all good. That's, that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. I found some new stuff, and I'm really delighted with that. <laughs> And my assignment. 714-545-2071. You can play with Patricia, and you might get some of the new stuff. 
and some of the stuff. I want to know who Ozzy and Harriet Nelson's sons were and the name of the baby in the Popeye comic strip. And those are just for starters tonight. Um, my homework assignment every week is to come up with a trivia question to stump Walden. I thought I had him this week, folks. I really thought I had him. I asked him, Walden, where did Basil Rathbone, where was he born? Basil Rathbone played, was the most famous person who played Sherlock Holmes and is best known for his roles in Sherlock Holmes, both in movies and radio. And I said, where was he born? Do we need a, a, to say hi to somebody? Hello, Carl. You're on with Patricia. Yeah, hi, guys. Doing? It's Ralph. Hi, Ralph. How you doing? Okay. Real good. And how are you folks tonight? Oh, just fine. What you got for me? I want to answer some questions. Oh, cool. Do you want the two that I just asked? Yeah, the uh, Ozzy and Harriet. And okay. What, what are we doing with Ozzy and Harriet? It was David and Ricky. That is correct. And the baby's name on Popeye was Sweet Pea. Yes, it was. And there's something unusual about that name. Most people call it Sweet Pea. Do you know what's unusual about the actual name that they gave that baby? Mm, no, not in particular. They left the T off sweet. They put a little apostrophe there to indicate that there's a um, missing letter. But Papa used to say Sweet Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. P-off, and that is the way they apparently officially spelled the name. But Sweet Pea is correct, and that means, because I still have your envelope here, too, I can put something else in there. Oh, uh, Before we get to that, you think about that for a minute. How are you doing, and how is Tony? Oh, we're both fine, thank you. Good. And, uh, Weather is good, and people are being nice to you, and... Oh, yeah, they, they don't have any choice because I just walk away if they're not. <laughs> no room in life for grouchy people. I got a kick out of you talking about airlines and, and travel. Oh, yeah, you got oh, an airline yes. story? the experiences. You have a good uh, I worked uh, for Pan American for 25 years. Oh, my goodness, I didn't realize that. No, uh, I was a ground employee. Uh-huh. And uh, right near you in Naples, Florida, we had a big cargo base there. Oh, I didn't know that either. Yes, it was a big cargo base. And, uh... you have any fun stories? My, my daughter has started to write down some of the things that happened while I worked at the airline. <laughs> Very interesting stories. Is there one that comes to mind right now? Oh, I know you can do it, Ralph. <laughs> at that uh, Adelaide Airport, but before it became Kennedy, uh -huh. I got stuck on a plane out of what we call a spot, which which was away from the hangar and away from the terminal. Uh -huh. And somebody took the stairway away, and it was about 17 degrees, and I was stuck on, <laughs> I was stuck on the plane for two and a half hours. Just sitting there. They took the stairway away while you were on the plane so you couldn't get out? Yeah, I was up working on the plane. How did they know you were there to get you out? Uh, someone finally came along. <laughs> uh, a commissary truck came along and put up to the side of the plane, and I was able to get out of there. <laughs> oh, good grief. Was it cold did it, or temperature it was, controlled in there? It was cold, but in, in those years we had those 
big gray Pan American blankets. Yeah. I had about 15 of them on me. Oh, my Lord. <laughs> it was really terrible. Yeah, and it was right on Jamaica Bay, and it was oh. cold as it could be. Oh, my goodness. Again, another one, like a bus driver getting out with a little kid in the back of the bus. Oh, yes. Just walked away and left the two of you. Poor Walden. <laughs> and now you. This is terrible. We're, we are such good advertising for the airlines tonight. Yeah, too bad Pan Am isn't around anymore. But Was that a, a good airline, a good in the sense that they took good care of their passengers? Uh, well, I, I must say, I went to work there in 1962. Uh-huh. And it was like, um, it was run pretty much like a family operation, as big as it was. It was, okay. I was quite happy with my employment there. Huh? And, uh... Except for the times that they left you on the plane. Our catering, uh, was done at, most of it was done at Kennedy. Uh-huh. At a while. And we had a French chef from Maxime's of Paris who oversaw the whole operation, so we had oh. good food. Oh, my. Yeah, they had that affiliation with Maxime's for, oh, I guess 10 or 15 years. Uh-huh. And uh, it, was, it was great. You know, he used to get a lot of good snacks. <laughs> now you have to beg for peanuts. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> <laughs> Please, could I have a peanut? Uh, well, that, that's kind of a, a scary story. That is really a scary story. I don't know anything about how planes are handled in terminals and on the ground, but I'm guessing that you could have been there for a lot longer than two hours. Yeah, it was long enough, believe me. It, it could have been a lot longer, though, except for happenstance that the commissary truck showed up. And, and you know, we were, we were pretty far from the... Uh, from the hangar, and nowhere near the terminal. Yeah. And there is a way to get out of those planes through the cockpit, down through the floor. There's an uh, area down there called Lower 43. Uh huh. You can come out. Uh, you can come out a trapdoor right, right behind the nose wheel. Yeah. But I didn't care to walk. Not uh, in that weather, especially. Um, you know, if you got caught, oh dear, I don't even want to think about it. This is this is dreadful. I'm going to walk anywhere I have to go from now on. I'm not going to get on a plane. Oh, my word. Oh, yeah. We had guys that didn't get off the plane in time, and one guy went to London. <laughs> they wouldn't let him off the plane because he didn't have a passport. Have a passport. Uh, oh, my gosh. Uh, uh, anyhow, so much for nostalgia. <laughs> good stuff. I mean, these are things people don't know about. We don't get to run around outside the plane when it's on the ground. So this is cool stuff. What can I send you? What would you like? Could, 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 I, um, could I take a rain check? Absolutely. I don't know what I want. Well, let me ask you this. I haven't done this for a very long time. I did put a bunch of Super McGee and Molly's on the CD with your uh, Bickersons. Oh, yes. Yeah, so that's that's what's in your envelope that I can add to. But I don't recall that I've ever asked you, or not at least not recently, if there is a particular type of show that you enjoy. Is it only comedy? Do you like crime and detectives? Do you like mysteries, horror, history, um, heroes, cowboys? Hmm. I, I like the uh, detective shows. 
like the detective shows. Well, I like wait, we have a special Johnny on Dollar and Which one? Johnny Dollar. I got Johnny Dollar. And uh, I got bundles. Do you know what I did with Johnny Dollar this week? <gasps> I did. I am. Well, of course you don't because I didn't tell you. <laughs> <laughs> I took my Johnny Dollars and I am cleaning them out because the entire collection is riddled with... I'll say junk, and it doesn't take an awful lot of shows that you can't hear or are skips, and so I, I'm looking for all of them, but I'm separating out all of the Bob Bailey shows. Now, Bob Bailey was the quintessential Johnny Dollar. People like Bob Bailey, so if you would like just Bob Bailey, I have oodles. Well, that'd be, that'd be wonderful. And you will have Bob Bailey, and that's for everybody else as well. Uh, it's you can find Johnny Dollar in a whole bunch of places, but it's pretty hard to find an uncorrupted collection. So at least you will have ones that you can listen to and enjoy. Yeah, I, I did have a question. Huh? Now the CDs that you send me—they uh -huh. work in my computer, they work in my uh, CD player, but they won't work in the car. No, um, it, it's only recently, like within the last year or two that I know of anyway, maybe somebody else has other information, that car CD players were not built to play MP3s. Oh, okay. But they're starting to now, within the last year or two, the CD players in cars are now playing MP3s. Because yeah, I, I was going to take a little bit of a journey, and I said, oh, I'm going to listen to Amos and Andy. Uh, the way up to Oregon, you know. Yeah. Uh, um, I got it in there. It just, just didn't do nothing. It would not do. So you're going to have to buy a new car. I, oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, I know the one I want. You know, there are little doodads. I don't know what you would call them, but little doodads that plug into your cigarette lighter. Cars are, are again, coming with cigarette lighters because... Yes. We have to plug so many things in there, like recharging our cell phones. And they're not terribly expensive, maybe 10 or $15. And you plug a little flash drive into them. So you can load all of your programs onto a flash drive. Stick this thing okay. in a cigarette lighter. Well, that's cool. So then the only thing that you need is the little, I don't even know what to call it. It's a little doodad. Uh, it's, and you plug the flash drive into the side of it. You put it in the cigarette lighter, and it automatically connects to the radio. I'll be darned. Turn it to the correct spot on the dial, like Walden does for us every night, and uh, you can play your shows on that. So, you know, if you take trips especially, it, it, it's a fun thing to have. Oh, how cool. I, uh, that's something to uh, learn something tonight. Well, if I, if I come across one and it looks like what I've got, I've got one in my car. Someone gave it to me, and I have Super McGee and Molly on it. So when I wind up sitting in a drive-thru, like waiting to pick up a prescription or something, I listen to Fibber McGee and Molly. I mean, I'm cool. They can take all the time they want because I'm listening to a show, and it's just really neat. You turn on the radio, you turn on, you press a button on this little thing, and it starts to play. I'll be done. 
yeah. I'm going to have to try that. Well, I'll keep my eyes open for one, and if I come across one, I'll send you the, uh, the um, whatchamacallit, the link to it, and you can at least see what it looks like and, you know, see if it's a price that you, you can um, take out of your pocket. Very good. Okay. Jeff, um, I'm a fixer tonight. I'm, I'm going to leave you soon, but I, before I go, I wanted to say this. I, I can't believe the enthusiasm that you folks have, and I know you don't get paid. Right. You must really, really be dedicated. Well, we just like people. I mean, it really is fun for me to talk with you, with Lucille. We're getting people who have never called before, and we, we had two people call in last week who had never called before. And that's just so much fun to talk with people who like old-time radio because that's what the station is all about. So yeah, well, it's easy to be enthusiastic when you're having fun, but thank you for that. And it's a wonderful job, both of you. Thank you. Yeah, yeah I grew up with this stuff. Uh, you uh, said that a couple of times. What you was your old-time radio was up to date for me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I tell you what. Just stay with me for one second because each week I try to have a theme or a special question. Tonight is favorites. That's my theme for tonight. So I want, you can do any of this that you want, but I'm limiting stuff to three. Three favorite shows, meaning, you know, the actual program itself. Three characters or actors that you really enjoyed on old time radio, and three favorite episodes from any show. I don't care, you know, if you pick one from Johnny Dollar, one from Super McGee and Molly. So in sets of three, and you can do one if you want, but favorite show, favorite character, favorite episode. Is there anything that comes to mind? Three favorite shows? Yeah. I would say Fibber um, McGee and Molly, uh, Amos and Andy, and uh, The Great Gildersleeve. And the great Gildersleeve. Did I ever send you Amos and Andy and Gildersleeve? You sent, yes, you did. I did, okay. Uh, I, I, I uh, listen to them quite often. There's quite a, quite a number of them. I haven't gotten through one of the discs yet. I, you know, there are so many. And someone said one time, but there are so many, I'll never get to listen to all of them. And mm -hmm. my, my thinking is... It's not that you have to listen to all of them. It's that you have all of them to listen to. So you can pick and choose, and you don't have to settle for. So I, I just think a nice big collection is a nice thing to have. Uh, I agree, yeah. I, Sometimes you don't. I do I get a lot of pleasure from it, you know. Well, I'm so glad you do. So Johnny Dollar, Bob Bailey's Johnny Dollar, and I, he really did a wonderful job on that. Um, and he did a lot of 15-minute episodes for a whole week, so you would get five shows in a week. Right. But it was one story. It was a serial for that week. I, the set that I have, someone took great pains and a lot of trouble to put many of these five-episode shows into a single MP3. So instead of having to go from 15 minutes to 15 minutes to 15 minutes to get to the end of the story, you can just listen to one show for one hour without having to click on anything else. And I thought that was just a really nice thing to do. So I still, there are still quite a few of the 15-minute shows, serials for a week, but I have many of them separated out now that were converted into 
uh, a one-file show. So it's, it's kind of neat to be able to just sit there and listen to an hour of Johnny Dollar and have it all together. Yeah, that sounds like someone did put some effort into that. It, it must have taken some time. I am such a cipher when it comes to electronics. I'm one of these people who is so grateful that a television has an off and on button because that's all I know about it. And this is the same thing. So many of our DJs are electronic wizards. They know how to do these things. But I know it takes time. It, it doesn't make any difference how difficult or how easy the process is. It's, it must be time-consuming to do that, and it's just such a nice thing that somebody did it for us. That really is, and you're not alone in that department because I'm, I'm baffled by some of this. You too? Oh, wow. Okay. I keep telling people, well, Walden's in California. I'm in Florida. The station's in Texas. I don't know how they do it. I just know they do. I, I hear the phone ring. I pick up the phone, and I know we're on for Saturday night. That's all I know. Walden knows everything, though. Well, if it's, um, if it's got wheels or gears in it, I understand it. Sometimes <laughs> I can't see. <laughs> Again, I'm, I'm a cipher in that department as well. <sighs> I'm a good driver, though. Oh, I good. Anything. Well, I... Uh... I pride myself with my driving. I'm very happy with my driving. Other people don't seem to be that happy. <laughs> I was just going to give you a compliment. If you're happy with it, that means other people are too, but it doesn't sound like that's necessarily the case. When we, come, when we go shopping from up here, we go down to Redding mm -hmm. on a highway that resembles a snake. It's just the twistiest road you ever see in your life. And it's about 40 miles down there. Wow. So, uh, sneaky, sneaky all the way? Uh, all, uh, they, they have uh, started a project to straighten out some of the bad curves. Uh-huh. And they just started it. But, yeah, we got about 11 miles that are really switchbacks. Wow. You don't, you don't do that trip six times a week? No, 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 no. We go down there to shop only. Yeah. Wow. And, and, and see the... Evil doctors. There are doctors down there that we don't have up here. And <laughs> they're, they're, I, I never call a doctor evil. I'll say some of them are better than others, but my goodness, they certainly have done me well for a lifetime. Uh, they, they treat me real good, but you know what? I, I never had to see many doctors in my life. Yeah. Now I'm at a point where i got to see them pretty regular. Mm-hmm. I'm happy about it. Oh, I know, but... I say to my wife that I'm on the specialist merry-go-round. Oh, I'm sorry. I understand that. Uh, they, uh, they do make it all possible. Uh-huh. I, I didn't mean evil in a evil... Uh, no, 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 I, I understood. I mean, when, when you have to do something that is medically oriented, that it's not by choice, it's not a well-baby checkup, uh, it's, it's not a nice thing to have to do, so I understood. I was joshing you. Not my favorite trip. It's not, no, it's not your favorite exercise. <laughs> I understand that. Okay, Johnny Dollar it is. You will have, uh, I'll open your envelope. See, this is good. When I'm late putting stamps on, um, I can reopen the envelopes and just put more CDs in there for people. There you go. You will have Zibber McGee and Molly and the Bickersons and Johnny Dollar. My goodness. I'm loaded now. <laughs> Don't tell anybody you're loaded, okay? Oh, goodness. <laughs> you're too funny. Well, I, I, I thank you so much for what you're doing. 
Oh, you're very welcome, and uh, thanks for calling. I really appreciate it. Okay, good night, uh, Walden. Good night, Ralph. Both of you. Hi. Talk to you soon. Good evening. Bye-bye. Bye. There's our buddy, Ralph. Okay, so we have, right off the bat, we have the first two questions taken care of, which means I have to go to another question. Question? Let us do another question. Now, here's one from last week. I had, um, I'll, I'll do three Dennis the Menace. I had at least one of them for last week, and one of them still still needs an answer, so I'll give you three Dennis the Menace questions. Hello, Carl. You are on the air with Patricia. Hi, this is Cassie Zanger, Marshall, New York. Hello, Cassie. How are you? Okay, doing okay. And uh, I was thinking about, you know, when you bounce a raffle, and it hit me. I said, wait a minute, the World Cup is coming from Johannesburg, South Africa. That's where he was born. How did you know that? Yeah, because, uh, you know, the connection through the years of, uh, I read someplace about that a long time ago, and I'm saying, wait a minute, wait a minute, I'm thinking, I'm thinking, and I'm going, oh, yes, yes, yes. He must have got the, the, uh, the question figuring it had something to do with the World Cup. Well, that's right, you know, he, and he was considered Hollywood's top swordsman, even beyond Tyrone Power. And uh, so he was very athletic. But they, you just blew me away because when I asked that of Walden, he went through this whole mental routine of how he came up with South Africa. <laughs> so both of you knew it was South Africa, and I thought I had this marvelous find that people were going to... I woke up every day, you know, what's going on. You know, I'm not that interested in the soccer, but it's nice to watch... Uh-huh. like that because it's so, it only happens every four years, you know, it's like the Olympics. Oh, it's like the Olympics. I didn't realize that. And, uh, and the fanatical, they, the fans, you know, they get tainted, there's all kinds of crazy, but I don't like it, those crazy horns that they keep blowing. I know. <laughs> oh, boy, they're trying to get crazy. I haven't watched any of it, so, and I'm not a soccer fan, but I know that soccer fans are serious about this. They are really serious. Uh-huh. Oh, yes. We, I remember one time years ago, I'm on the bus going to work at 149th Street in the Grand Concord and, uh, at the post office there years ago in Italy, not like four years ago, they won years ago.
Compton. Right. Uh, I was in the uh, first grade, and uh, they were all going crazy in the school. Yeah. Everybody was going crazy. You know, the teachers were going into the, you know, following them up. They did it, they did it, you know, the songs. Even I didn't understand what they were talking about. <laughs> That's fun. The first grade, I thought it was a fire drill or something. Yeah, yeah. You want to play a question tonight? So I mailed it to Patricia this week, so she'll have it next week. Oh, okay. So, so it, once she'll get it, she'll put it in the mail. She'll put it uh, in your Very mail. Very good. I like that. I like yeah. Lucy's idea. was great. Yeah. That is so sweet. Okay. And I'll, I'll mark this fan club, too. Okay. But we have to find a show for you that I can add to your envelope. Okay. Earlier about the Mr. and Mrs. North. Uh-huh. I think I, I remember watching it on, uh, I forgot the actor's name, on TV. I, I don't remember. It was Barbara, it was Barbara Britton. Yeah. And her, her daughter, uh, go to the old time radio conventions in New Jersey. Wow. Yeah. What was the guy's name that did? Radio shows to the thin man. Radio shows, right. But you got uh, Mr. and Mrs. North. Uh huh. Are they the same actors as they're on TV or there were different actors and actors? No, I didn't listen to any, Cassie, so I don't even know who's being introduced. Um, yeah, on radio, uh, I think on radio is uh, Joseph Kern and Alice Frost. On TV with Barbara Britton and the gentleman who, who was in a Y50, Richard. He was also Lucy. The governor. Yes, yeah, she was also. And a new Hawaii Five-O. Right, he was also Lucio Ball, first husband on radio. My, yeah. my favorite husband. Distinguished man. Richard. The governor of uh, Hawaii. You know. Yeah, my, that was a nice show. Might have to have Patricia open up the the book. My favorite husband, Richard. <laughs> oh, I have to go do homework I know, again. Just I know, Richard. Richard. <laughs> I'm kind of hey, looking at you again, Walden. Say again, Cass. Richard, what? I'm I'm kind of losing you here. Danny, it sounded like it was Richard Danny. I think you're right. I think Let's see here. Very distinguished man. Very, you know, very very good looking, nice actor. My favorite husband. Um, the Cougats and the Coopers, hold on just a minute and a little. It just says the Coopers, hold on. Gail Gordon is George's boss. 
Lucille Ball and Richard Denning. Denning, that's right. Richard Denning, yeah. That's Denning, right. Yeah, Denning, right. Yeah, he was, oh. he was in Mr. and Mrs. North, the TV show. Yeah, yeah, that was a nice show. Yeah. Fascinating show. Wasn't she the lady that used to do the commercials for Revlon on a $64,000 question? Yes. That was the same person. Yeah, the same person. Yep. Yep. She was, uh... But no, yeah, her daughter goes to the radio conventions in New Jersey, so, uh... Uh, so that's what... That's how come I found out. Oh, okay. Yeah. Good. Yeah, Lucy all put me in the mail, and I got him yesterday. Oh. And so I put, I put you got mail to Florida. Yeah, I got mail to Florida, so I'm asking Patricia to give him, you know, mail the next week. And yeah. then she can, you know, I, I put poor Patricia to the mailing task, so that's what happens around here. You know. I'm the mail. Each one of us is going to have our own membership. Uh-huh. <laughs> I just love this. Lucille, I mean, this is so much fun. making like a shortwave hand club. <laughs> like ham radio operators around the world, they have a number that they have when they get their a license. When they we're, say now it's having, we're all going to be licensed. There's, there's a name. So what's going to be the fan club's name? She named it the Wallpat Club. Oh, I like that. That's cute. I like it. show 
or a collection. Got lots of stuff. Christmas music. I've got lots of Christmas music, too. So we will have much to give away um, for Christmas in July. Okay. So what CDs are you going to send me now? Uh, you ask for Mr. and Mrs. North. Yes. That's One good. Hmm? Slowly yeah. building this collection. Very slowly, listening to it. You're, you're getting there. Yeah, it takes time because this is like new to me. Well, um, it's relatively new to me, too, Cassie, so I understand about collecting these things one at a time. But whatever I have, people are welcome to, and I'm just delighted when somebody asks for a show that I have. Yeah. So, Mr. and Mrs. North, you will have. Very good. Okay, Cassie, you have a great night. Thanks for calling. Thank you very much. Bye. Don't forget to send me my membership card. I have an asterisk right next to it. I'll even put it in yellow here. I'll have to... <laughs> be good. Very good. They all want to be one of the top 20 that get it. Oh, you're fun. Okay. Right there, you know, the, one of the original ones. We'll make sure. Yeah. Okay, bye-bye yeah. now. Bye, Cassie. Take care. Bye. Oh, isn't that cute? Original issue. This is so much fun. So people have to ask for their membership cards and club membership cards. And Lucille is the person who created the club. I just love it. So if you want to go him and register, if you want to put in a pre-order for your membership card, <laughs> we can do that. <laughs> a pre-order. I'm kind of losing you again, Walden. Am, am I? Well, let's try this again. Are my ears sick tonight? It doesn't say better. <gasps> My goodness, yes, I can hear you. Okay, I had to go in and and uh, uncouple and hit back in. So if you're happy with this, we're going to go with this setting. Oh, hooray. I can hear your terrible ordeals and everything without interruption. I, I know you were having trouble because you and I couldn't seem to be connecting. So I had a, you know what happens, everybody? I have a very loving, kind, kind mother who loves to clean the house. <laughs> And this was, this was the week she decided to clean my bedroom. She generally likes to clean every week. She breaks it up. You know, a day she'll do this part of the house. Another day, the next part of the house. Well, uh, what was it, middle of the week, she decided to clean my bedroom. I was still in bed at 7 in the morning when she started to clean. I said, I, I, think, I think it's time for me to get up, you know? So I, uh, you know. So we got up, and... Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I she'll she will uh she'll clean around here in the studio, so I will not be surprised. Again, that's okay. That's what mothers are for. Just a couple of little bumps and a few things moved. Yep. And everything goes bluey. Bluey, but we're back. Just bluey. So, okay, right. tonight we are asking for three favorite shows, three favorite characters, and three favorite episodes from any shows. So we, Patricia had a great trivia question about Battle Rathbone, and, and that was Miss answer, so I didn't have to answer that question at all. You didn't, but you knew it. I knew this, it. This week, when I'm going to stop asking you during the week. <laughs> <laughs> I'm being honest, because I get so excited when I find something and think, oh boy, I'm going to get Walden, I'm going to get Walden. And then he'll call in the middle of the week, and I'll say, I've got one for you. I know. <laughs> Patricia. And he always has the answer. So I'm being truthful. I am giving the question.
question that I did ask him and he did have the answer for. Would you go through again for me this system you used in your head to get to South Africa? Oh, that was interesting. Yeah. Yeah, that was interesting how that was working. Well, when Patricia asked me the question, the middle of the week, uh, I was in deep thought. I wasn't communicating very much. She, she, you know, she knew I was in deep thought because I wasn't <laughs> jabbering away, you know. And I was sitting in, in Australia in my head, and I was sitting with that, and I was going to think about that. And then I got thinking, well, Michael Jackson was a, fam was a famous radio talk show host in Los Angeles. And he had a well-known British accent. Uh, hosting from 9 to 1, um, Monday through Saturday on KBC, and I knew he was from South Africa, and that sounded like a very plausible explanation that it, that could translate over to Basil Rathbone. And that's it was a shot in the dark. Yes. And, and you came up correct. The uh, South Africa, and maybe somebody else can help me with this, South Africa, or Africa, um, and I guess South Africa has something like 27 languages. So speaking one language does not necessarily translate to being able to uh, communicate with everybody. So there is a whole collection of regional accents in South Africa, and they're quite different from each other. Some of them sound purely British, and others have just a, a musical uh, clip to some of the words. I, I have a good tri South Africa trivia question for Patricia. Oh dear. Joanne, is a, okay. Here's a good one. We had a family friend that tr went to South Africa during the apartheid period of time to visit the huh? country. My trivia question, Patricia, how many hours was she in the air from California to go down to South Africa? Oh my goodness. And this was during apartheid. Right, and so, so we're talking during that time. You had to fly around. It was not necessarily a direct flight. Oh, no direct flight. Uh -huh. So we're talking maybe twenty years ago. Uh, yep, about twenty. Uh -huh. about, about twenty years mm -hmm. ago. Okay, I'm going to say twenty-six hours. Thirty-three. Well, I wasn't too far away. And I think she said after about the seventeenth hour, she was thinking about jumping out of the plane. I, oh boy, you, you know? know, I mean that's that's worse than sitting in a playpen. <laughs> But I, you know, that's amazing. Well, okay, let's go to Sherlock Holmes. Let's throw some Sherlock Holmes trivia questions out. I know Patricia loves Sherlock Holmes, and that's probably what got her thinking about Basil Rathbone, was her love for Sherlock Holmes. And she has a bunch of Sherlock Holmes shows. If anybody likes Sherlock Holmes, I'd be happy to send them, too. Right. So there. Go ahead. So, Sherlock Holmes had a, a woman radio director during the war. She was married to the famous movie star... Herbert Marshall. She was also a movie star herself who did the audition with Gail going for the Halls of Ivy. Who am I talking about? Oh, I just read this a couple of weeks ago. Yep. Well, there you go. So you know that one. If you were paying any attention, let's run this again. What woman who was the director of Sherlock Holmes during the war with Basil Rathbone and Nigel Bruce. She was married to Herbert Marshall, the famous movie star who had his own radio show called A Man From X and who was, had a wooden leg. She was also a movie star, 
in her own right in the 1930s, she did the audition with Gail Gordon for the Halls of Ivy. Who is it? Somebody go on Google. Help me out of here. I'm still in, in basic. I mean, how many times was Basil Rathbone married? I don't know. I don't know. I know he did a lot of the, um... I know. He, well, see, you know everything. <laughs> I know how many times he was married. I have no idea. Yeah. I think it's probably on a Wikipedia page, but I, um... I know he did a lot of the movies in the 1930s with Errol Flynn. That's what you were talking about, the swordsman. Oh, yes, Errol Flynn, not Tyrone Power. Yeah. Errol Flynn, yes. Yeah, yeah, Captain Blood. Yes. And a lot of those. And he was considered superior, the superior swordsman. Yeah. I'm just thinking, you know, the the, the hero in all those shows is Olivia de Havilland, who is still living. She lives in Paris, France. I think she was born in 1916, so I think she'll be 94 later this year. Yeah, in July. Who supposedly her autobiography coming out, so maybe we can make a long distance call and have her come on the air. Wouldn't that be fun? That would be fun. She did a lot of radio. It was interesting, she, she loved radio because she was quite a feisty, independent gal who really fought in the movies. In other words, if she didn't think she was getting a very good role in the movies, she would hold out. And they would suspend her. And in order to keep her name going out there and have income, she did a lot of radio. And movie historians often comment about that, that she was a uh, very independent female who uh, had radio as a uh, pretty main staple of her career. So, a little antidote. A little anecdote. Yeah, a little. Okay, we want we want to do some questions, and people have to be looking for the director, right? Well, that's just my bonus one. But what did Patricia have? Sherlock Holmes director, a woman. Yes, a woman. Help me. There's not that. There There's a few females that directed. Yes, yes. I'm I'm so surprised. I pop across one every once in a while, mm -hmm. and um. Wasn't wasn't one of the female detectives that Jack French talked about directed by a woman? I think so. I, I know um, Helen Mack direct, also directed Richard Diamond for a while. Uh -huh. I don't know why, but females seem to, to gravitate to detective shows. Yeah. We, we have such analytical minds. I guess so. You, you, <clears throat> I think. I guess your beauty, your wit, and your mind all one big package. And And nobody... Nobody can yell at us, <laughs> or at least in the 1930s, they likely would not, they wouldn't be as likely to yell at a woman, I think, I don't know, but um, yes, the only ones I can recall were associated with detective or um, mystery mm -hmm. type shows. Okay, we, we have some trivia questions here. Tell me. Are you... we ready? I started with Dennis the Menace. We've got some Dennis the Menace Questions that were not answered last week. What was Dennis the Menace's next door neighbor? Who was it? His name? What is Dennis's last name? And Dennis the Menace had two pets, a cat and a dog. Name one of them. I want the name of the dog or the name of the cat. So we'll do Dennis. And here's one everybody should be able to lock into. Which show ended 
with the song Happy Trails to You. Happy Trails to You. And who wrote that? That's my, that's my, uh... Dee Willikers. <laughs> that's my bone, that is my, uh, little ad then. Who wrote that song? Who wrote Happy Trails to You? Yep. Happy Cowboy, I guess. I don't know. You, you, you have it. A Happy Cat, was it Gene Autry? No. Am I close? Yep. Roy Rogers? Roy Rogers and Dale Evans co-wrote that. They wrote it themselves? Yes. Well, they did a wonderful job. That was a great song. Yeah. Great song. Yep. Maybe that's why they sounded so good together on so. it. I think so. I think it's... They fa- did it from the, from the get-go. I think it's fascinating that Roy could not read or write until he met Dale. And I You've think... mentioned that, yeah. yes. Well, we can cross this question off now. No, let's leave it out there. Maybe nobody was paying any attention. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. Um, if you don't, if somebody doesn't get this question, um, either no one is listening or we're not saying something right. Or we're just not being funny enough. Someone for... Or entertaining, you're right. Yeah. Which show closed with Happy Trails to You? Someone four five four five two zero seven one. our number. Seven one four. Five four five two zero seven one. Just remind everybody next Saturday, Patricia will be, uh, you know, looking out at the stars, having here her, all by myself, having her IT, you know, while I am sweating in Seattle. You know? <laughs> Poor baby. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, Carl. You are with Patricia. Hello, Walden. Hello, Patricia. Hi, Jim. Hello, Jim. How are you? Hi. I hope your evening is going well. Thank you. I think so. We're having a good time. I hope other people are. I turned in on the phone because people have been borrowing the house phone, so I missed some of your thing, but I, I think I've got the answer to your last question. Okay. Uh, the Roy Rogers Show. Yes, it was. Okay. All right, Jim. Who wrote it? Dale Evans. And, yep, Dale and Roy. And what other, well, here's another one, Dale, uh, the, a trivia question. You, you might know this. What other famous pop song did Dale Evans write that was a big hit in 1955? Wow, I do not know. Let me give that some thought. Um, about, how about that Amore? No. No. Hmm. In 1955? Can you give me the artist who made it big? Well, several people did. Don Cornell was one of them. Oh, well, it's an, it's a, it isn't fair with a big one for in Diffy for him. Diffy five. I don't know, Jim. Should I just tell you or see if yep. anyone knows? Go ahead. Go ahead and tell me. The Bible tells me so. Oh, that's right. Someone told me, Dale, I heard somewhere that Dale Evans wrote that. I, w- I think you're absolutely correct. That the Bible told me so. I think you're absolutely okay, correct. hope and charity, yep. that's the way to live successful. So- that was the song she wrote. Wow. Oh, for goodness sakes. She was a very talented writer. I don't think, I think she started writing after she lost her child. Right. And, and that opened up a whole new, a whole new uh, creative outlet for her. And I don't know how many books Dale wrote. What, at least I know she, after, I know she lost one of her children, wasn't it, in a, in a bus ac- a camp yeah, accident, they lost a bus sev- accident? Yeah, they lost several. Remember, the first one, she lost, because the, the poor thing uh, had a very short lifespan, and, and the family knew it. 
Right. And she wrote her first book based upon that experience. And then I know they did lose a child in a bus accident. It was a camping trip. Correct. A school or church camp or something. Church camp, yeah. 64. Right. And then I think they lost another. Um, but, uh, you know, they hung in there. Well, yeah, she, uh, they, they had it in addition, on, of course, on radio, it's interesting that the show had several different formats. In the, in the 40s version on Mutual, you know, remember, it was, an, it was set in the Old West. Yeah. But then when it went to, N, uh, the later Mutual run, then when it went to NBC in 51, and then later to see, uh, at television, it was set in the Modern West. That's right. That's right. And then after after the network canceled it in I guess fifty seven, CBS continued to rerun the Roy Rogers show on Saturday mornings till like nineteen sixty four. So it was a regular Saturday morning fixture and then in sixty two Ian Dale had a one hour ABC variety show on Saturday night. It didn't last the whole season, because I remember their kids were on there, like Dodie and Dusty, and, you know, the, the right. kids were on the show. Right. So, but it didn't, uh, it, it, it didn't make it through the whole year. It was right against Jackie Gleason. I should probably run some, t- some Sunday night at the time when I had Dusty on the show, and it's interesting, he said, this, ain't, this is a good trivia, how much did Roy pay for Trigger? He bought Trigger in 1939. Any idea how much a horse would cost? Oh, well. Patricia? Mm, depends a lot on where the horse came from, yeah. too. Um, for Trigger. For Trigger in 1939. Was what, he pre-trained? I don't know. Uh, the, the price he paid, I would, I bet so. Was he a stallion? I would assume so. Yeah. Not a gelding. Okay. I, I will say $10,000. Ah, good guess. Good guess, but lower. Lower? Yeah. Eight thousand. Lower. Five thousand. Lower. Three thousand. Lower. One thousand. More. Fifty-seven cents. Oh, you're good. We're, we're getting how, good. Let's how see. much did he pay? Twenty-five hundred bucks. For Trigger. For Trigger. And was he just a colt? Oh well, I think I think he bought him, and he must have been a colt. And you know, he basically used it. Used it. Um for his live stage show a lot of time mm-hmm. because that way he could at least have them and take care of them and cause that's basically how he supported the big family was through the uh, the live tours you know the rodeos and things like that even more than the movies even right and TV like, and you know, all of that yeah you think about the agents and everything else probably took a, a pretty good hunk but that's basically where the, the bread and butter of the family came in and he, Dusty told a great story. He said when uh, when Trigger passed away, Roy wouldn't tell the family for another year. He was so heartbroken. He didn't t- want, and so he went ahead and had Trigger's stuff, and didn't tell the family until about a year after Trigger passed away. I heard somewhere that he also had Bullet stuff. Mm-hmm. Now, do you know how much? When did he get Bullet? I don't know. I don't. He didn't tell that story. Um. They, uh, this was during the time when the IRS <clears throat> figured they o- that the family o- owed them a lot of money. They valued uh, Trigger for over a quarter million dollars in taxes after Roy uh, passed away. 
and Dale said, you better do something. So they went ahead and moved everything they possibly could into the family trust before she passed away. And But the IRS was still trying to get both a quarter million dollars in tax money off the trigger, and I don't know how much they were asking for bullets and the other animals. Wasn't that a factor in their decision to move the museum from California? That, Dusty told me that was his mom's idea, Dale's. Uh, Dale said, you know, um, the Western theme is in Branson. He said, after I pass away, move everything to Branson, Missouri. And that was her, that was her, uh, idea. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, well, they, well, you know that my brother and his wife saw the museum in, uh, where was it, where, where in, where in California was their museum? Ap uh, Apple Valley. Yeah, they, they went, they went and saw it, and she, they saw Trigger, you know, stuff there. One of the great stories that Roy Dusty told, and it's true, tells you how much people love Roy and Dale. Uh, and, you know, they were just regular people. Apple Valley is like a farm community in the desert, everybody. Uh, tourists came into Apple Valley looking for Roy and Dale, and they were told where they lived. And they went in and sat in the living room before Roy and Dale got up. And so when Roy got up, he, he went out to get coffee, and there was there was company. Uh, so he made sure he served them coffee and talked to them. I remember Dusty telling that story yeah. that the people, obviously the doors were not locked, <laughs> and they found the house. They were given directions to the house, and they just walked in and waited. <laughs> I, I mean, it just. <laughs> you know, you usually don't think of stars as you know most stars want to be as secluded or at least relatively secluded as they can be. Well, I guess they were private because they were on a ranch, but these people, they were, they got directions and just kind of helped themselves and walked in and sat down and waited for them to show up. I remember Dusty telling that story on the air to you, Walden. Yep. They did a number of records together. They did a number of children's records in addition to their pop records. They right. did a uh, for RCA, they did a, a, a story about a rodeo, where he and, Dale, he and Dale were involved in a rodeo, and it was a four-sided 45 or 78. And they also did a number of records for the Golden Label. Uh, Roy did a, a, song, a kid song in 1955 called Daniel the Cocker Spaniel. Oh, that's cute. <laughs> yes, he sang it, in fact. Uh, a friend who collects kids' records, I've, I've talked to him. He has the record. Maybe I can get a copy of that for you sometime, Walden. Uh, and I had some Christmas records. You know, he and Dale did some Christmas records, a number of them. And uh, I think Roy's last big hit was Cowboy Heaven. I think he, didn't he, I think he had a version of that in the, uh, the mid-70s or so. Cowboy Heaven? Yeah. Okay. Well, I know he did, he did one called I'm, I'm Living in Leavenworth. <laughs> wow. Roy Rogers did that? Yeah, I'm, I think so. I think you had a version of it. I'm living in Leaven, not Leavenworth, Leavenworth. Oh, oh, wow. oh, my brain went, oh, okay. I did, too, I did too, Patricia. Wow, I did not. And it just went to the familiar, and I didn't, and you pronounced it correctly. It was my ears that. Right, yeah, it was Leaven, I thought the title Leavenworth was just cute. He was, uh -huh. born, he was born on a houseboat in Cincinnati, Ohio. And, uh, you know, and then pretty much joined, uh, they formed the Sons of the Pioneer in the late 20s, early 30s. And, uh, you know, with Roy, that rich voice, he became the lead of the group. And, uh, 
you know, the Sons of the Pioneers took off. When Dale, when, when Dale was a singer, wasn't she on Charlie McCarthy's show, yes. Edgar Bergen's show, even before? Yeah. I know she married Roy in 47, on New Year's. 47, yeah. But before that, I know they were in movies together. Yes. His first wife died. First wife died in childbirth. She she died giving birth to Dusty. Really? I yeah. didn't know that. Yeah. And, and then, um, Dusty told that he at the time when I interviewed him, he just came across the transcription where Roy missed the broadcast due to his wife passing. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, he said he always called Dale mom. He pretty much treated them like all the, the kids as they adopted. Well, she was, I heard her interviewed by, I can't remember if it was Larry King or Jim Bohannon, because, you know, Jim would sit in for Larry yeah. sometimes. A few years ago, before she died, she was on one of their shows one night, and callers called in and reminisced about the Roy Rogers show, and yeah. she was, it was, I think it was after Roy died. Correct. She did a lot of interviews after Roy's passing, because she was still writing books, and I have... I And she gave birth to her first son, and her husband abandoned her. Didn't know that. Yeah. Was her first husband? Yeah. Didn't and know so that. She, she, uh, and he uh, deserted her in a small town in the south. And so in order to make it go, she did secretarial work and was a singer. Mm-hmm. And she sang with the band, the big bands, and radio stations. And then she was under a movie contract, and she was a regular movie starlet. Uh, and, it, and that's the time when you heard her with Charlie McCarthy, and she was seen with Anson Week in his orchestra. Uh, but by the war, that's when they sort of remake her career to be a uh, uh, a cowboy personality. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting that he, uh, you know, he uh, he he had a girlfriend on the show, meaning Dale Evans on on the show. Gene Autry, except for Pat Buttram, he pretty much was a loner right on his show. I seem so. Yeah. He had a girlfriend on the show. Yeah. But uh, they both they both had very popular um, shows. It was one of the really good Roy Rogers shows that I've heard a recording of. I can't remember the episode title or the date. Roy and Dale help a doctor who was ready to give up his medical career because he had lost a patient. Mm. And they, they talked the doctor into going back to his practice. And the reason that it was memorable is William Conrad played the doctor. Ah. In the episode, I've heard Chuck Shaden played it once. Right. It was a good uh, story. They they had some good stories, and of course, um, one of the Christmas shows that maybe you can play either in July or December. Mm-hmm. In in one of those Christmas packages, you know, they have that Roy Rogers show, the night before, the night before Christmas. That's right. I do have that from Christmas of '52. What was the name of the uh, Jeep? Nelly Bell. Nelly Bell. That's right. At Brady. That's right. And he had a, a, a kitty record also called the, about Nellie Bell. It was called The Graveyard Filler of the West. Scare <laughs> me. Yeah, it was, a, it was the B-side of the Sons of the Pioneers version of Davy, the Ballad of Davy Crockett. I had the 45. Daniel the Spaniel and Nellie Bell. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I'll try to get you. I'll, I'll talk to my friend back east, it's, and maybe by in a few months we can have that Daniel the Cocker Spaniel for Walden to play maybe on Roy's birthday or something. That would be great fun. I hope you can do that. That would be fun. 
Well, it was, you know, the, we had some very talented, uh, you know, again, we had some very talented uh, people on those shows, and uh, they were well, certainly... Yeah, and, you know, the thing about it, too, they could sing. I mean, Roy had a beautiful voice. You should think we could look back. And uh, and I can see why America grew up with Roy, Roy and Dale and Gene Autry. Well, they were all, they were all very talented. Mm -hmm. uh, Happy Trails didn't use that till like, the 50s, right? Yeah, I, mean, I don't seem to remember hearing it in the 40s, per se. Yeah, but it was a... Uh, it was a nice way to do the to end the show, and uh, concerning our Patricia trivia question, maybe she knows more. Okay. I have some on the radio shows, but I don't know when the radio shows came out. What were the dates on the radio shows? Well, well there was what they had a show. He had a show in about forty-four or forty-five on Mutual for Goodyear. Mm -hmm. Walden has the, for example, the one from VE Day. Right, and then they were back on forty-seven. For Quaker Oats. Quaker Oats, and then I think they were on in 51. I think Happy Trails was written in 51. But in 51, they went to NBC for right. General Foods. That was for post cereals and things and like that. I think they were on the air until 55 or so on radio. Right, and then in 53, Goodyear, Good, mm -hmm. Goodyear at, or Goodridge became the sponsor, or Dodge Automobiles became the sponsor. And then on TV, they were on, I think, from 50, I think 52 or 53 till 57. And, uh, and yeah, and it was, and of course I said the Saturday morning reruns continued on CBS from like '58 to like '64. Oh, I guess King Autry's house is on the on the real estate market. Is it? Yep. Saw that. Yeah, I sent a link to Patricia, so I haven't looked uh. at it. But my mom wrote back. You think we ought to buy it? So. Six point nine million, is it? <laughs> Well, maybe the listener can put a dollar down, and we can all pick in a dollar a day, and we can do it as a timeshare. Ten, ten cents a pop, sure. Yeah. Well, for the next time, we're not going to be on the air next week, but the following week, I will have some Roy Rogers shows, and we'll figure out where uh, Happy Trails to You came into play. That sounds good. And you're going to get you're going to get a week off next week. I know, but I have something for you, Jim. Okay. I have something for you. Okay, so you did Happy Trails. We know that you knew Happy Trails. I now have a set of shows. There are eight, and it's called Homefront. I don't know what that show was, but there are eight in the series. One of them is Nazis and the Martians. The second one is London Calling, Arsenal of Democracy, The U.S. at War, Give Till It Hurts, That Must Be a Bomb Drive, G.I. Joe, Liberation and victory. Now I know you're you're a history person, so I thought you might like that one. And I also have what do I have here on a talk show? I've I've tried to categorize these. I've got Edward R. Murrow on Hear It Now. So if you would like those two shows, I would be happy to. Okay, that sounds good. The whole front end uh, that that sounds that sounds excellent. By the way, I'm. I want to thank you. I never had a chance. I've just been so many things have been going on here. I want to thank you for the FDR material. Oh, you're very welcome. I'm so glad that I was able to locate it. Yes, that sounds fun. The 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 home front and and I've I heard the home front years ago. It was a syndicated show. Uh huh. I would recommend you hear it, by the way, too, because it's a it's a it's a wonderful overview. And Walden, I know, has heard it. Yep, I 
have is you see, I think we'll, we'll play a little bit of it. That way it might treat other people to, to want to ask for this. Hopefully I put it in the right CD. Let's give us a second. And see what one came up. It was hosted by... William B. Williams. William B. Williams, who was the famous New York... Hello, world. This is William Williams, and this is the home front. When Johnny comes marching home again, hooray, hooray. We'll give him a hearty welcome then, hooray, hooray. All the men will cheer and the boys will shout. The gals dress up and they'll all turn out. And we'll all feel gay when Johnny comes marching home. Attention, everybody. Attention. Men attached to the following unit will report back to their post immediately. This is an official order from your commanding officer. All men from the 1st Battalion, 28th Marines, will report for duty at once. In 1943, Johnny was still marching in the other direction, away from home, from North Africa into Italy, and from Guadalcanal farther out into the Pacific. Johnny was a private, probably, average in many respects, and looked just like all the other guys under a steel helmet and with 80 pounds of combat gear on his back. He probably enlisted eagerly and then learned what James Jones called the harsh and bitter lesson of men. And there you go. It's an eight-hour documentary done on World War II. It's a wonderful series. And by the way, William B. Williams is famous. He coined a very famous uh, tagline or, or identification for a very famous singer. Uh, Frank Sinatra, he was the one that came up with the chairman of the board. Yeah, on WNEW in New York. WNEW, yeah. He was the, uh, he was, he was the voice that a lot of people grew up listening to out of New York. And the two newsmen who were on the home front, Frank Gorin and Ed Brown, were very successful in the 70s personalities on both NBC and CBS radio. And here right now, I can tell you, is an excellent series. If any of you ever get a chance to hear it, people talk a lot about see it now because people think of Edward R. Murrow on television, but it started as a radio show, hear it now in 1950. And it lasted in the fifth, the radio version was in the 50-51 season. And it was a four-hour program each Friday reviewing the week's news. Fred Friendly produced it, Edward R. Murrow narrated it. And it, and it was revolutionary for its time because that was just at the time when tape recording was beginning to be used a lot in broadcasting. So, you know, in previous decades, um, when news programs were done, documentaries, actors would often impersonate people, like on the March of Time and other shows. But here right now, you actually heard the real voices, and for that time, it was very revolutionary. It's an interesting show, for sure. Each show is one hour, and um, the set that I was able to find has 25 shows in it, so that'll keep you busy for a little while. Yes, it will. Uh, yes, it will. And uh, I have a friend who's a big Merle fan, uh, so so it's it's wonderful listening. And by the way, I I really enjoyed uh, what I was able to hear last week. I'm, I'm glad you enjoyed the book, and I'm glad you and you did a wonderful interview with Dennis last week. Oh my goodness, he was wonderful. It was a, a great book, and honestly, when I got to the end, Jim, I thought, how am I going to do this? <laughs> you know, because there was so much territory to cover. This is the Monitor radio show that we're talking about. And Dennis Hart, 
who is the author of Monitor Take Two, which is the second edition of the book, was our guest last week. There was just so much to that show and so many facets and so many chunks of history in the history of the show, it was nearly impossible to find a thread to pull first. It was a remarkable, remarkable show, and I'm, I'm embarrassed to tell you, I didn't even know it existed. Well, you know, it was, and, I'm, and I know visiting the website, you've had a chance to hear some of this apple. Mm-hmm. And it's just fascinating when you think of all those hosts and communicators that were on the show. Yep. Covering the gamut, and you just, and I agree with him that, that people, radio could do things like that today if they just would be willing to. If they were willing to, it could be done today, and what a fabulous show. Uh, or a program. It's not a show. It's a program. And Dennis Hart is thinking about getting us Jim Lowe, who's a famous New York radio host, or George Jasher. George Joe Jasher. Boy, I blew Joe's last name. The famous uh, baseball guy who did the. Uh, oh, Joe Yeah. And he talked about Pat Sajak. Right. Which is interesting. Most people, you say Pat Sajak's name, and it's game show mm-hmm. for him. The man is. Brilliant. He is an excellent conversationalist. He's diversified in his interests. He's got depth and personality. He was a disc jockey in Nashville years ago in the 70s on WSM. Mm-hmm. He was also, he, he did, didn't he do Weather Weldon on television in LA? I think he did, yeah. Yep. And, and one of my friends played me a tape, which I found fascinating. Now, this is from October of 1965. The CBC in Canada, a newscast actually done by Alex Trebek. Wow. In 1965. So that was fascinating to hear the Jeopardy host that far back, you know, doing news on the CBC. He's a very young-looking person, no matter how old he is. He's a very young-looking person. Uh, And again, it's somebody whose image sticks in your head from the first couple of times you see him on a game show and people get old in front of me and they they retain the original look for me so people are ageless if anyone is listening if i've seen you for the first time on a game show you're ageless you will never get old so home front and hear it now that is it did i also send you the resignation of richard nixon no you didn't well, I have that, too. Oh, that's, that's, history. that's a good thing to have in the history uh, file. Okay, would you like that one? Yes, that would be fine. That would be fine. And I, uh, and I hope to, uh, I'm, I've ordered, by the way, maybe, you know, uh, I, I was telling Walden last night for my birthday, I've ordered one of Jim Cox's books. Oh, that's a treat. Yes, he, I wrote the book called Sold on Radio about the, the top, we were, since we've been talking so much about product. Mm-hmm. Sold on Radio is an excellent look at the top 20 or 30 advertisers during the Golden Age and the history of those companies and what products they made and what shows they advertised on. Excellent. Yes, and uh, he's uh, supposed to have a new book out. Isn't he, Walden, on trains? He's doing a couple of railroads in the South. Yeah. And then uh, I told Jim, well, hey, I'm going to have you on anyway. You know, we'll talk about that. And... uh, uh, we'll see what other books he got in the hop. He's one of those that I think loves to write. He and Martin, I'm just so amazed how he and Martin Grahams can just turn them out. Just like, you know, most writers, when they write one book, it's 
generally several years before they write another book. And it takes time, and you, Patricia, know, of course, being a writer, how it takes time to research and put something together and organize it and all of that. I can make a career out of an article, Jim. Right. <laughs> really, I am a slow writer in the sense that I edit as I go. So it, it really is a very, very slow process for me. And people like Jim Cox, for anyone who is not familiar with Jim Cox, Jim is a wonderful writer who has done many books on old-time radio subjects. Most of them are available through McFarland. It's really worth a journey to the McFarland website to take a look at the books he has written. Right, and, and, and Martin Grahams is just about as prolific. Oh, Martin, it, I don't think there's anybody who can come close to Martin. He's, he's getting close to uh, Rex Stout now. Oh, yeah. yeah, well, yeah, when I, I, you know, I, did you read, uh, I can't remember who wrote the book, but in the late 70s, somebody did write a biography of Rex Stout, a full biography, and it was fascinating to hear how he came up with the character of Nero Wolf and how yeah. he came up with each story. Uh-huh. And, you know, he also, before he was a mystery writer, did something in, to do with the banking industry some kind of modern form of banking or something. So he, he had a very varied career. Yeah. But Nero Wolf was just, to me, the character of Nero Wolf was just so fascinating because he was, there was nobody like him ever. I mean, mm -hmm. I, I was, when I read the first, the first book I ever read was like in the mid-60s, and that was The Doorbell Rang. And I was just so impressed with the whole premise of a detective sitting at home not going out of the house, having those strict routines, the two hours of the morning and the two hours in the afternoon at the orchids, not discussing bu uh, business at the dinner table. Just the idiosyncrasies mm -hmm. were just so fascinating. There were house rules and beer. Right, and all the fancy foods that Fritz would fix. Uh-huh. What time was the morning orchid? 9 to 11. And the, the afternoon was 4 to 6. 4 to 6. Seven days a week. <laughs> By elevator to the third floor. Right. And, and, and Archie... Uh, Here. You know, I, I do seem to remember one Nero Wolf novel where he actually did have to testify in court. And that was a major, major... I don't remember how they got him to court. I mean, I, of course they got him in transportation, but how they got him to actually leave his house. I guess he had to, subpoena or something, but just... Mm -hmm. But normally, you know, he had those he had those ground rules. Yep. Well, for the next time you call in, if you are interested, and we kind of try to stick you with a question, I have a fairly good set of Nero Wolf radio shows. Okay, that sounds fascinating for one of our future visits. That sounds good. Okay. And uh, Walden and Tom, didn't you tell me Walden? I guess we can mention that they're you're, they're going to be doing some new Nero Wolf. Dramatizations or something, possibly. Yeah, we're in the process of working on that, and that's that's our hope. So we're in touch with the family, and we're going to see what happens. But, but that's what we want to do. And these are these are new versions of his novels. Yeah, that's our goal. Well, that would be nice. That would be nice. That would be, and I know you'd get good listener response to those. I think so. There's still quite a fan base for the New Wolf property, so. 
I think hopefully we can pull that off someday. One very successful national talk show host is a big Nero Wolf radio talk show host. The leading radio talk show host is a big Nero Wolf fan, I've been told. Huh. Are you talking about Rush? Yeah, he mentioned it once, although he said he didn't he, he didn't care for the TV version. When William Conrad played Nero Wolf, he said, a caller called him about it one morning, and he said the problem he had with the TV show and maybe it was just his interpretation, the way Rush interpreted it, but he said it seemed like William Conrad was always angry when he was playing Nero Wolf, where in the book, Nero Wolf wasn't necessarily angry. But oh, Was it the recent series with um, Timothy Hutton? No, this was an NBC series in about 1981 that Conrad... Um, okay, there was one... Um, on, P on, a on A and E. That's it, that's the one, and that, I can't remember, who, who was the... Do you, do you remember who played? Archie, I don't remember. Uh, Timothy Hutton played Archie Goodwin, and yes. the actor who played Nero Wolf was another bombastic, angry person. Yes. And that's not at all the way Nero Wolf's character was. was that your impression? Did you remember the William Conrad series? No, I didn't realize that there even was one. It was in 81, and it was like half a season. There's a, mm -hmm. there's a, the fan club, there's still a Nero Wolf fan club. If you go to NeroWolf.com, they have all that interesting trivia up there about the radio show and the TV series and all that's up there, even with the all the books. So, you know, they were, they were uh, and what's interesting is uh, they, they, they covered a literal time. I mean, when the first book was done, as this biographer of Rex Stout said, it was 1934, and he was drinking 3.2 beer, you know, just after Prohibition had been repealed. And the last book was in 74, and Wolf was talking about Watergate. So, you know, it covered, when you think of all that time, mm -hmm. year by year. Uh, well, it's fascinating. Um, Rebecca Stout, Rex Stout daughter, explained Rex writing style, he preferred... Uh, to work on a schedule. He took, he liked working outside on his farm nine, eleven months out of the year. Mm -hmm. So basically, he would think of the story and then he dedicated one month out of the year to sit down and write the entire story. And that'd probably be a turn the winner. And that's how he, that was his writing style. Well, it was interesting, the, uh, uh, you know, some of the short stories were pretty good. There were some. There were some Nero Wolf books where there were like three short stories in the book. One was called Three for the Chair, mm -hmm. which had three three different stories. I think there was one called uh, uh, Homicidal Trinity, uh, yeah. and and there was one called uh, Let's see, Trio for Blunt Instruments was another one that had three different stories. And, and, of course, the full-length novels, I had many of them I liked. I liked The Doorbell Rang. I liked Too Many Women. I liked, uh, there was one I think called Murder by the Book. Yes, I just, I just received the uh, audio book of that. Murder by the Book? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, we've got some radio shows to go along with it, and I was happy that I found them because they weren't too easy to find. So the next time you call in... And we play trivia, and Jim always knows an answer. Let's go for the Nero Wolf. Okay, and you have a wonderful evening. And Walden, I'll probably talk to you tomorrow before before things. But Patricia, you have a nice 
night off next Saturday night. Right. Walden isn't going to make me do homework this week. But are you going, what you can do next Saturday, maybe maybe you can just have some fun and listen to some radio shows. So wouldn't that, yeah, I will. I will. I'm having great fun. <laughs> well, I know you are, and you, you've added, you're adding a lot to the program on Saturday night. Well, I thank you for that. I hope I can add a lot to your collection with the shows here. Going in, and I'm enjoying the, uh, I, I've been, by the, what I've been listening to in recent days, I've, I've been going through those gun smokes you sent. Mm-hmm. And they're an excellent sound. Uh, they're, they're, what's interesting about this particular set is each MP3 is the, is the full year of, the, of that, like it started in April of 52. Mm-hmm. And the first MP3 goes from April of 52 to April of 53, and then a, the next one is 53 to 54 and so forth. So they're like a year-by-year year, uh, listing of the programs. Each CD. C, uh, C, yeah, CD, MP3, whatever you... Um, that's, that's the way the files were set up. So um, they were season by season. You're right. Well, that's good because I've seen it in other sources where they try to cram. And one thing really nice about this group is that they don't try to cram a hundred, you know, a hundred, two hundred shows on one, you know, one disc. Mm-hmm. But there's there like fifty of them are, and it's and they're an excellent sound. Yeah, they they were very fine sound. So we're letting everybody out there know what we've got to give away tonight. Okay. Yeah. Have a wonderful evening, Patricia, and you have a wonderful evening, Walden. Thank you, Jim. Jim. I'll talk to you soon. Good thing, and I have a nice vacation next week. (laughs) Thank you. Good thing. (laughs) Bye-bye. Bye, Bye, Walden. Bye-bye. Yep, Patricia gets a paid vacation. I get a paid vacation. I get another zero on my paycheck. That's right. I guess she can retire. I I do, yeah, right. Pretty soon I'll be able to retire on my zeros. (laughs) Some people sit on their laurels. I sit on my zeros. That's right. 714. 545-2071. Five four five two zero oh, seven one. The next person to call can add another zero to Patricia Paycheck. We can do that, Walden. We are just not connected correctly tonight. Oh dear. I am almost losing you again. How about this? There you go. Were you not sitting in front of your microphone? I guess not. I was just having a good time listening to you two kids. <laughs> We're gonna have to strap one to your chin or something. <laughs> Okay, so we've still got some questions to go. Um, repeat, repeat, Dennis the Menace. We Hello. need to know who Dennis the Menace's next door neighbor is, what Dennis's last name is, and name one of his two pets. He had a cat and a dog, or he has a cat and a dog. Both of them have names. Just give me one and I'll be happy. Patricia will be happy. I will be happy. I'm big on names tonight. Oh, here's a good one. Here's a good one. Mm-hmm. Captain Midnight. Captain Midnight. Captain Midnight. Yes. Uh, one of the sponsors, and it wasn't the first sponsor. Ovaltine was one of the sponsors, and they had lots of Captain Midnight premiums to give away. So my question is, did Captain Midnight fly a plane? command a spaceship, or lead an army cavalry. Captain Midnight, what did he do? He drove a bus. Someone <laughs> um, Walden is out of control tonight. <laughs> oh, that's funny. That is really funny. 714 
call Patricia and let her know that Cap that Captain Midnight did drive a bus. He did drive a bus, right? He was the bus driver <laughs> in the front of the bus. He and Ralph Cramden drove for the bus company. Now, what was, this is a good question, and it has nothing to do with old time radio, so I won't even ask it. But you're not going to so there. We got the sillies tonight. <laughs> oh my goodness! How about some clubs? We have characters in these shows who belonged to clubs. Oh, I think Elk Club and oh, okay, good. Yeah, Fibber McGee belonged to a club. Yeah. What club did he belong to? Right. The Great Gildersleeve belonged to a group. What right. was the name of his group? And George Burns belonged to a club that he referenced frequently. Yeah. What was it? Also, Jack Benny was a member of a club. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Amos and Andy were members of a, of a lodge. Uh, oh, yeah, right, that's right. Uh, who else? Those are, some, those are good ones. Those are good ones. Seven one four five four five two oh seven one. Five four five two oh seven one area code seven one four. Use the one before the seven. Then the one four five four five two oh seven one. Walden leaves, leans into his microphone, everybody's going to be able to hear him. Oh, that's good. Can we hear me? <laughs> <laughs> oh, poor Walden. He's getting picked on tonight, and he's had such a rough week, too. Oh, that's okay. That's yeah. Walden's okay, tell me which group the Great Gildersleeve belonged to, what club Fibber McGee belonged to, and which club did George Burns belong to that he referenced very often. Are we having fun yet? We're having good time. This is good. 714-545-2071. Dan, which shows would you like? Jer, which shows would you like? And um, we need somebody to call. Somebody has to let us know that there are listeners out there. And let me put a new dot on my map. Oh, that's right. We 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 guys can't put two dots in, in last week. Uh huh. We need a couple more. Yep, we need some more dots. More. So I have a Fibber McGee and Molly show. If we're not going to have somebody call in for a trivia question, maybe folks would like to hear a Fibber show. Let's do it. Okay. The first show that we are going to be playing tonight, I get so possessive. Walden has all of the equipment. I say we are playing. No, no, no. We, this is collective. Walden well, has all of the equipment and he has the show, and Walden is going to be playing. No, no, no. No, no? No. We. Huh? We. We are a team. We are a team. I picked it out, but Walden has to do the work. We're a team. So <laughs> he, he finds the CD, he finds the show, no. and he does whatever you call it, load it up? Yep, load it up. And put it in the queue? That's true. Oh, this is good. I'm using all the right words here. Oh, she is. The show we have is Fibber Takes Up Astronomy, and that's from April 8th, 1941. Now, this is becoming a weekly routine. The first show Walden plays I have developed a set of questions about, so you have to listen hard to the show 
And when the show finishes, I will have three questions, trivia questions for CDs that relate to the show. So all you have to do is answer one of them, and you've got yourself a CD. But you have to listen to the show in order to know the answers. In this one, Fibber decides he needs a hobby, and he takes up astronomy. He does it because Molly is, and Molly insists he's having trouble with his eyes, and at the end he'll say, I had to prove to her I could do something. Molly wants to take him to an optimist, not an optometrist, but an optimist. And when Fibber uses the messed up words, he gets a big laugh. Molly used this one, and there wasn't much laughter at all. So I'm wondering if they simply expect it from Fibber and not from Molly, or it was her delivery or his delivery. So listen to that and let me know. I'm not asking any questions about that one, but it was interesting for me to hear that she didn't get a good response from something that he would have gotten a good response from. So that's my story for that one. Teeny is in this one. I love Teeny. For a couple of years, I'm thinking it's about a couple of years, Teeny had a routine of I'm hungry. Every time Fibber mentioned something that was a food, no matter where it was in the expression, she'd say, I'm hungry. You know, I bet he ate a lot and he only weighed 87 pounds. He probably weighed two pounds, right? <laughs> <laughs> so he would say something like, well, that's a lot of baloney. And she'd say, what? He'd say, baloney, baloney, I'm hungry. Or one time he said, I'm really in a jam. In a what? A jam. I'm hungry. So tonight is an I'm hungry night, and I want you to listen for that because I think it's a really great routine. In this show, Gildersleeve appears. He was married when he was the neighbor with Fibber McGee and Molly. When he started in his own show, it was radio's first spinoff, he turned into a bachelor. This was the great Gildersleeve, and that show spun off and was launched on August 31st of 1941. This show is from April 8th, 1941, so we've only got a few months to go before he actually gets out and is in his own show. But he's married here. He references his wife in this particular show. When he gets to Summerfield with his niece and nephew, Leroy and Marjorie, he is a bachelor uncle. So it's kind of interesting that they changed his whole persona when they started him in his own show. So this one has a fibber flub, and it has Bill Thompson doing his Nick DiPopolis character. I just love Nick DiPopolis, but he didn't last very, very long. I asked Claire Schultz about that. Mr. Schultz is the person who wrote one of the Fibber McGee and Molly books, and he thought that it was a, a cultural sensitivity or... Um, a nationality sensitivity that people were thinking they were making fun of the Greeks. Mr. Depopolis was Greek. Um, I'm not positive of that, but um, you know that that was his guess. So we lost Mr. Depopolis, and I think it was one of the best characters in the show that was given to Bill Thompson to ever do. So, so anyway, we've got three questions at the end of this show. The show is Fibber Takes Up Astronomy from April 8, 1941, and Walden will now do all the work for us. The Johnson Wax Program with Fibber McGee and Molly. 
The makers of Johnson's Wax and Johnson's Self-Polishing Glow Coat present Fibber McGee and Molly, written by Don Quinn with music by the King's Men and Billy Mills Orchestra. The show opens with It's High Time. ask you ladies a very personal question. Along about this time of year, do you begin to get those spring house cleaning blues? Not I, Mr. Wilcox. Several years ago, you sold me on the idea of keeping house with Johnson's Wax, and spring housekeeping just doesn't get me down anymore. Well, that's great. Do you mind telling everybody what you mean by keeping house with Johnson's Wax? Not at all. It's really very simple. You'd be surprised how many things I wax in my home. My floors, of course, and my furniture, too, but that's not all. I wax my windowsills, Venetian blinds, pantry shelves, radiator covers, my baby's high chair, even his kitty car, and my woodwork and enameled refrigerator, picture frames, luggage, shoes. And that's what you mean by keeping house with Johnson's wax? Yes. The wax protects all these things against wear and dirt. It makes my entire home more beautiful. And cleaning, both the regular kind and the big spring cleaning job, is so much easier. Thanks to you, Mr. Wilcox. No, thanks to Genuine Johnson's Wax, if you don't mind. Sold by dealers everywhere, the world round. Besides a chump of himself, there are many things a man can make around the house. (laughs) One of them is a telescope. And wouldn't you just know that's what the master of 79 Wistful Vista would be working on as we meet Fibber McGee and Molly. Dog, this thing is coming along swell, Molly. That's nice. Gonna have it finished almost any time now. That's fine. Gonna be a beauty, too. Of course it is. Gonna be the best in town. Oh, good. You want to use it sometimes? Well, I don't know, dearie. What is it? <laughs> what is it? Why, Molly, you mean to sit there with your lap full of bungalow apron and tell me you don't know what I'm making? Well, I just didn't want to be nosy, McGee, but it's very pretty, whatever it is. Well, it's, it, it's a telescope. A telescope? 